Wayne's World comes again, Siamese twins with Dumb and Dumber hair, and after several years, Peter Jackson is halfway through a 300-page book this week on 30-20-10. Hello everyone and welcome to 30-20-10, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine, telling you about all the TV, movie, Music, video game, milestones, anniversaries, all the cool stuff that happened within a one single week across three decades. See how the world has changed. See how samey, samey everything really is. Remember where you were when all this stuff came out, because I think I had the first movie this week I walked out of. Uh, how about, I think it, that's, this is it. Uh, could be mistaken. We're going to have a lot of stuff to talk about. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista. Who else is with me? I'm Diana Goodman, and this show makes touch like makes touched by an angel look like train spotting. Ah. <laughs> and I'm J.R. Rawlson. That reminds me of a story when I was in Sri Lanka, formerly Ceylon. <laughs> I managed to beat off a Bengal tiger with a can of mace, but as for the shop owner and his son, had to be that to was a with his dip- own shoes. I love Silent. <laughs> sorry, I, just, I could not say it. I love that line. I love that guy so much. Oh, that's J.R. Rawls. <laughs> That's J.R. Rawls with another long Never quote. Been to Ceylon or Sri Lanka, I'm, sadly. I'm excited it's to talk list. to you about this movie um, because I don't think it ever gets his fair shake. That's So, yeah, let's get into things. We've got to thank our patrons, patreon.com slash laser time. you got a big old spoiler cast about the Spider-Man 2 game with our buddy Chris Baker and the video game Apocalypse Boys, Strange Brew, 80s and Death, to join that uh, vacation promo that's probably run a little too much. Uh, we also <laughs> will have a bunch of uh, behind-the-scenes video game stuff. It's more fun than it sounds. We do a top ten, our favorite top ten games of every year, and then on the Patreon, we decide the order of the list. Friends become enemies. Uh, it, it becomes very gruesome. <laughs> and enemies become lovers. Heads I, are put on pikes. I don't know why we don't do it on the regular show. It's so cruel. Matt is so manipulative. It is... It is supplemental, but it, it is always hilarious, and I always leave upset. So I can't wait to do that. If you're not on the Patreon, I do encourage you to go over there right now. We do have a poll running for what movies you want us to cover for 1984 episodes of 80s in depth. Currently in the lead, Terminator, Never heard Red of Red Red. Oh, yeah. Ghostbusters, Temple of nope, Doom. Bad. Oh, shots fired. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I am just kidding. All bad. All of them bad. Just kidding. Those are all movies I watch I have memorized, so that will be not a problem in the slightest. Um, so special to me. And there's a lot of movies in this segment that are super special to me for one reason or another. And one movie I am more mad at than ever. I'll leave that as a tease. Uh, there might be yelling. Let's get into the show. 30, 2010, a journey, a pop culture journey across three decades, uh, December 8th to the 14th. Uh, warning, Christmas is in high gear. So, yep. you know. Also warning, we are going with wide release dates, uh, not original release dates. Mm-hmm. Because you might notice once we get to the end of December, there'll be like a lot of 93 heavy hitters we haven't talked about yet. We're going to do it at wide release time because otherwise the week of Christmas would be stacked and then we'd have nothing to talk about for two months. Right. For example, Schindler's List, mm-hmm. we're not talking about until February. Yep. That's a 1993 yep. movie. It, yeah. it debuts like this week. Or whenever no. I saw it in public school because um, they didn't want to talk about... It was seen by 
a hundred people versus millions of people yeah. in February. Yeah, we'd rather talk about it when you are going to remember having seen it. That that is award season nonsense, and I don't I don't mind adhering to this at all, because yeah. uh, part of the show is to it it really does help. One of these movies, I'm like, I remember the theater, I remember who I was with, and I remember walking out. I, I remember what I was wearing. It's like really cool to strike that kind of memory in, in you, and, and sometimes you can do that with even casual viewings of stuff you don't love. So this is going to be a real fun episode. Let's get started because it's long. December 8th to the 14th. Um, no news? I thought I had some news in there. Really so we're right in the middle did. of the uh, Algerian civil war oh, right now. <laughs> right. Oh, right, right, right. right. Yeah. And... It kills around 150,000 people in total, Jesus and uh, this is the week where there's a religious massacre, a bunch of Islamists capture a bunch of Bosniak uh, workers because they're working on the oil rigs in Algeria there, and they go through and they make the Bosniaks uh, say the Islamic Arabic prayer, and if they can't say the prayer, they kill them, but some oh, of them grew up next to Muslims because that's what Bosnia is. It's a multi-religious society. So some of them pretended to be Muslims just because they heard someone say the prayer enough. You can always yeah, count like, JR for some genocide right at the top of the show. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. It's not <laughs> we, the last time we're talking included. about genocide. It is not the last time. And while we're on genocide, rot in hell, Henry Kissinger. Mm. Ah, it feels good to say. Just good. Music controversies in here. Um Guns N' Roses are under fire for including a Charles Manson song um, I, in an upcoming um, album. Uh, Snoop no, that's on the Spaghetti Incident. It's out already. It okay. came out a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I think it's an issue of like you're not, you can't legally give residuals to that guy. I know you love him, Axel. Uh, Snoop Dogg <laughs> has pleaded not guilty to murder, and oh. uh, Michael Jackson's maid has quit uh, after seeing Jackson naked with young boys on a number of occasions. And that, like, <laughs> you know, it didn't happen. Just keep telling yourself that. Uh, and then let's move on to the big show, the movies, because there are a bunch of movies in here. Um, movies of 1993, December 8th to the 14th. First up, we got Lolita Davidovich, Brendan Fraser, and Donald Sutherland competing with himself, Younger and Younger. That is the name of the film. I have never heard of it. Yeah, so by the guy who directed Baghdad Cafe, which is a lot of fun, and this is a very strange idea for a movie. It sounds like they don't quite pull it off, where uh, Donald Sutherland and Lolita Davidovich are married, and things aren't going great, and then she dies and starts haunting him, and now he's more in love with her than ever. Well, well that'll happen. Uh, I tried to watch this. It was painful. Oh. I set a new record for time speed. Hey, what? Why? <laughs> no! <laughs> Did you get that done in 30 minutes, 20 minutes? About 15? 20 minutes. Hell and yeah. It, it, and it dragged. It oh, dragged no. at four times the speed. Do uh, not recommend. Uh, oh, I would never. No. All right. Well, I'll recommend the next one, Donald Sutherland, I mean, where he put out more effort. Yes, because uh, I would, um, I'll would. i plug Sonia's sh and TL's show, Live from the Pool House. I got to be on that show uh, for the first time. Sonia's first question to me was, What's white privilege like? Because I was the first white guy on the show. I love being the Jackie Robinson in that area. Um, but I got to talk about my love for Will Smith and that I found, I, I got into the Fresh Prince music before, so I was really psyched for the show. And I don't remember Made in America being his first movie. I remember reading that Six Degrees of Separation was Will Smith's first movie. So I saw this movie at way too young an age just because I love the Fresh Prince because it is very against typecasting, but also... 
very well regarded, and I have very positive memories of it. I didn't track it down to see it again, but I have seen it as an adult. I do like it. Ian McKellen, Donald Sutherland, Will Smith, and Stalker Channing in Six Degrees of Separation. Yeah, I I mean, the, the big word on this was like, Will Smith can act. Holy shit, Will yeah. Smith can act. Because he's, I mean, he's cast against type and that he's not like the coolest guy that you want to hang out with, but he has to be incredibly charismatic, the yep. character, and, and he he fucking kills it at that and seduce everybody (laughs) yeah so six degrees of separation which is based on a true story Mm -hmm. is the kind of crazy part is about this like super fancy like upper west side uh new york couple and he like he's an art dealer and this guy this kid comes to their door as will smith and he's like oh i'm friends with your kids i was just mugged it's so terrible um also my dad is Sidney poitier and they're like, oh, shit. And they take him in and they all get charmed the shit out of by it. And like, they think he's great. And so, no, he's he's literally just a con man. He's just mm. just does this for shit and giggles, I guess. I mean, you know? well, I think to, to live a high status life one one yeah. mark at a time. Because yeah. it, 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 so, they find out this is a pattern. This is how this dude yeah. lives. <laughs> yeah. Free room and board, uh, high society meals. Pretty dope. Uh, yeah. I, I would consider it, but I do not have the charm or attractiveness of a 20-something Will Smith right now. Uh, no, but yeah, I, I mean, I guess the only real big knock against it is it's based on a play and you can kind of tell. Yeah. The, uh, the dialogue is a little bit stagey, mm-hmm. but I think they do a really good job. And I just, I found the whole movie, it's so charming and so interesting. And uh not that it, it, we have a theme of the week of like fancy rich people having a grenade thrown into their lives mm-hmm. <laughs> and how do they react to it? And does it make them kind of reevaluate themselves or not? Chris, yeah, I, I really gotta like say, it. you gotta believe in yourself more. If you try really hard yeah. and you study, I'm sure you can pass yourself off as Sidney Poitier's son. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of Tanner. Uh, we're going to oh, need, no. and uh, I'm Italian. I can pull it off. Uh, six. Uh, uh, yeah, I read. Actually, oh my gosh, I, I have a segue for that. But please, please finish talking about six degrees of separation. I it, like. I only read. It, it's the only criticism it got is how it changed certain things from the play. I have no knowledge of the play. Didn't bother me in the slightest. So like it. It this it might be our most well reviewed movie of the week. Six degrees of separation and, and a really interesting turn for Will Smith because I am there. I am there like backwards hat graffiti everywhere and like he just says to a guy man i can't stop thinking about how i want to how much i want to fuck you i'm like what is happening i have never even i barely seen gayness outside of mrs doubtfire and now the fresh prince is seducing a man uh, yep. ballsy on his part uh yep. all right so here's here's my goofy segue I read a whole bunch about the next movie and the making of it and one thing that really came out was how much Dances with Wolves changed things when it comes to depicting Native Americans. Mm. Because before 1990, you'd have some Native American actors, but you'd also have some Mexicans and some Italians and some Italians. Jews. Yeah. And you put on brown face paint, and now, now you're playing a Native American. And and all the interviews with the Walter Hill, the director of this next movie, talked about, like, after Dances with Wolves, we cannot do that shit anymore. Everything is completely changed. We cannot. And the studio wanted me to cast a white guy as Geronimo. And I was like, you need to get the fuck out of here. No one's going to put up with that anymore. Graham Greene is busy. Like, what do we do? <laughs> yeah. Go down the list. Well, West Judy is there. And West Judy fucking rules. So... Yeah. I, 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 here's the thing. Here's the thing. I can't talk about this movie 
because this is the first movie I ever walked out of with friends. And I'm like, this can't be the movie. It's 1993. I, why am I there alone? Let's, let's put this in perspective, but then like it had Jason Patrick and Matt Damon in it. And then I didn't remember Gene Hackman, Robert Duvall, West duty. Let's put this in perspective. I don't have a phone, let alone the internet. And I have no car. I have no, we walked out of this movie to do nothing, <laughs> but it was at the cheap theater, which my parents kind of used as babysitters. Cause for 50 cents, you could drop your kids off alone in a movie theater and they did. So that might explain a lot more about me than I thought. But uh, Geronimo and American Legend is out this week and just not for me. Yeah, it is an incredibly slow movie that is not actually about Geronimo. It's actually about the army. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, it's about the army rounding up Native Americans and putting them on reservations. And like a give it I'll give it a couple things. It's very, very pretty. They shot it in like Moab, Utah. It actually explains the psychology of why the army would think they are possibly the good guys in this situation. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, okay. Well, if we don't round up the Native Americans, settlers are just going to kill them. So we're doing yeah. them a favor. Like, oh, I see. I see why you would think that. It's a big early starring role for Matt Damon. He's a nobody. Mm-hmm. And he narrates the movie constantly it has Gosh, so much if narration. you want to hear baby matt damon's voice drone on and on oh. and on and on the filmmakers just didn't trust the 1993 audience to put one plus one equals two together they really didn't the the wow. narration was so egregious at times it distracted from the film it really really did jason patrick this is at the period where they're really trying to make him happen he's kind of a black hole of charisma and uh he, he made fun of himself on saturday night live for it but uh i've seen yeah, him a ton of stuff i liked he's a very very competent actor but not doesn't exactly not pop. Here. no and definitely not here i, I not, mean not no. to harp on it but put it into context i'm saying we left this movie theater to do nothing we w- we preferred nothing to stare at the street than continue yeah. watching this film <laughs> Yeah, it's really dull. It's really dry. It's got some good moments and some interesting ideas in it. And yeah, West Duty is cool, but you don't get to know anything about Geronimo because it's not actually about him. Yeah. That's my big complaint. And yeah, it's Walter Hill, who is a director I usually love. And it's also maybe the problem is it's written by John Milius, who just wants to talk about army killing stuff. Yeah, baby. He brought and a, he doesn't want to talk about anything else. He brought a pistol to the pitch meeting. You got to do what he says. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So this bombed at the box office. So this arguably made less, or it lost more money than Last Action Hero. Wow. But no one will remember it. No, 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 no. no. Forgotten. Also, there is another Western next week that takes place in the same place at the same time. And that one kicks the shit out of it. Yeah, so it's not like the appetite isn't there. The reviews weren't, and... Yeah, I don't have anything else to say about it. I did not. I I love this being the first. And I don't think I've walked out of another movie. I think I've run out of another movie with like diarrhea or an emergency. I don't walk out of movies ever. But this one, too young for it, obviously. You know what they called this movie in Japan? Hmm? Look out below. They don't. They don't say Geronimo. They. they, Sorry. Um, All right. uh, Now here's more weird scheduling stuff. 
I can't believe that the number one and number two movies are both comedy sequels comedy... that they're putting up against each other. Why would you do that? You're going to kill each other. I mean, no one's going to make any money. Uh, we've discussed that before. And... Comedies rarely m- turn into trilogies, especially not hybridized ones. And mm-hmm. it's just odd to put them back to back with one another. No. And I would say both of these sequels are overwhelmingly forgotten compared to their originals. I still oh, see I the original argue, reference. No. I will argue really? you are incorrect on, on this first one. Yeah, Let's get into it then. I, I think part of the reason it's the, the kind of the world's introduction to Lauren Hill that's in the cast, Maggie Smith, James Coburn, the kid's favorite, uh, Kathy Najimy, and of course Whoopi Goldberg, Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit. From Touchstone Pictures, the students of St. Francis couldn't sing. Couldn't dance. This uh, needs a prayer. And couldn't stay awake. Until Sister Mary Clarence showed up. And showed everyone that miracles can happen twice. Five, six, seven. Joyful, joyful, Lord, we adore Whoopi's back in the all-new Sister Act 2, rated PG. I think this is a more silly comp because like things were pretty wrapped up at the end and to get this person did we talk about that like they kept trying to get a mrs doubtfire 2 off the ground like what are you supposed to do he cannot hide as mrs doubtfire to his friends and family anymore there's not what are you gonna do bring him over i I forgot about that family i made on that one vacation that i can (laughs) sneak my way in there it there's i've only seen this once or twice but it makes it made me resent the first one. So when we went back to watch the first one, I'm like, I don't hate this at all. It's just mm. doing this again. It's the yeah. very hangover two week. This, uh, yeah, it feels like we're doing this again. Also feels, this one more than anything feels like a pre-existing script that they doctored into mm. a sister act movie. Yeah, okay. That it was already just like a movie about like a bad school and, and a, a, you know, a teacher doesn't take no shit, you know, dangerous minds, but not violent that they turned it into Sister Act 2, but apparently that's not the case, that this was purpose-built. But here's the thing. So I always thought, like, yeah, Sister Act 2 is is a big pile of whatever. It's formulaic. It's a school movie. Yeah, well, we can get the... We can sing the big competition and save the rec center. It's pretty much how it ends. And then I find out, like, no, this movie is way more beloved than I appreciate. And and successful. Incredibly successful. Okay. Yeah, I th- some of it, I think it is familiarity, not actual love. Because this is the one more than Sister Act 1 that has been replayed on TV a mm-hmm. 100,000 times. And kids might like this one more because it's about kids. And not the mafia and, and murder. <laughs> and building a choir and they can appreciate that. So this turns out this actually introduced like modern gospel music to a whole new audience. Yeah. And they embraced it. So, okay. It found its audience eventually, but I was not that impressed. <laughs> but like what you like, people. Yeah. I just, I, yeah, I don't know. And also, more shooting in San Francisco. Why? Every 90 movies take place in San Francisco somehow. It never changes. Thank you. Okay. And yeah, no, I, I don't know why. Some people just love Sister Act 2 so much more than Sister Act 1. And I, and, uh, I guess because they were kids. And, and Lauren Hill. It's a, Can't it's, argue with Lauren Hill. It's a less, uh, what do you call it, four-quadrant film. It is squarely marketed at kids and is sort of like, if I recall, a like step-up dance, like let's get to the regionals kind of movie 
rather than let's hide from the murderous mafia movie, which kids may not enjoy as much. Uh, but I was surprised by how much I like Sister Act 1, having rewatched it. It was Sister Act 2 that soured me on this would-be franchise. Again, as the dust yeah. settles on Whoopi Goldberg's film career, I think this is the most one she's most likely to return to to close out a trilogy at some point. It, I don't know what people are still watching with her in it. Ghost? Yeah. Star Trek? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but the yeah. one I was there for day one in a pretty fast turnaround. This is the, about about 16 months <laughs> of, in turnaround. Uh, the behind the scenes are crazy. I was oh there day God. one. And it's number I one at the box office. I had no idea about the behind the scenes. I want to talk about this for hours. Yeah, but me too. Go ahead. Because I love it. Christopher Walken. I, how do you make this movie better? Christopher Walken. Tia Carrera, Dana Carvey, Mike Myers. It's fucking Wayne's World 2, baby. It's Wayne. I promised myself I wouldn't cry. It's Garth. I feel weird. It's the love affair of the year. Take me, Garth. Where? I'm low on gas and you need a jacket. The fight of the decade. The rock concert of the century. You're serious about putting on a rock concert? Are you kidding? I'd give my right eye. <laughs> Wayne's World 2. <laughs> I love Wayne's World 2. I I can say definitively now, I never saw Wayne's World 1 as like a coming of age or like period piece because they always seemed a little older than teenagers, but I did see that when I rewatched it. This is just more funny Wayne's World stuff. I can't believe so many people had a problem with this. I'm gonna I'm gonna put my chip down. I think this is the better movie. Might be funnier. I, really? As I, as a movie. Yes, I will give as you a movie. As a movie. Okay. We got a discourse here because I think this has better jokes. I think they have a lot of solid skits, but as a narrative telling us these people's journeys through an experience, no. I do not agree at all. Oh. I vehemently disagree. Let me tell you why, and then you can rebuttal. Okay. Fair? Please. Okay. Please do. Wayne and Garth do not significantly interact in this movie. No. The movie mm. about the two characters, the main characters of Wayne Worlds, they have almost nothing to do with each other throughout the course of events. There is not just one plot in this movie. There, yeah. The Wayne's uh, stock plot is a loose hanger on which a million different scenes are hung on. It is not one overarching plot. There is about five, maybe six plots going on at the same time. None of them have uh, the emotional journey that we saw in Wayne's World 1. Wayne's World 1, they were both lovable losers. This film, they start off in like every 12-year-old boy's dream loft which is their target audience, mm -hmm. every 12-year-old boy would look at that loft and go, oh my gosh, these guys have the perfect life. Uh, they're recognized in the street by random people uh, instead of being, you know, uh, cable access losers. There's no real significant journey. They are willing to throw any skit at the screen if it'll make a thing. Why the heck is there a graduate reference in this <laughs> movie aimed at 12-year-old boys in 1993? I can tell you why. Okay. I can tell you why. There's a really good Lemon's head, Lemonheads cover, and we want to use it yep. in this film. It's yep. a very good cover. Now, here, okay. here's and, my counter-argument. I'm listening. There, there are like five different plots going on. Wayne's main plot is the same plot as the first one, yep. which took up most of the movie. 
my girlfriend who is too hot for me might be cheating on me with that guy who is furthering her career. That's a huge chunk of the first movie. That's not especially interesting because he just needs to get over himself. Having that be one of five or six plots, <laughs> we can be there and get hit all the beats and get done with it a lot faster. Also, let's bring in James Hong. With that, <laughs> let, with that, let me say something. Clear out. <laughs> had to get Mr. Scream in there. Uh, it's Ted McKinley. <laughs> yeah, Harry Shear, <laughs> handsome Dan. I reiterated some of that, JR. Wayne's World 1 is like a very traditionally structured movie. It can be enjoyed as a one-off. Wayne's World 2 might be the perfect Saturday Night Live movie because it is a series mm. of sketches. And it mm. is a bunch of stuff they probably at that point could never do content-wise or production-wise on Saturday Night Live itself, it is a very satisfying collection of funny sketches. Very much. I'm disputing that. Yeah. There are so many hilarious things, and looking back in my memory bank, I remember more of the funny skits from Wayne's World 2 than I remembered from Wayne's I, World I 1. I remember I the Kung Fu fight. Yeah. I remember the that was Sri Lanka at the time known as Ceylon. I, I, <laughs> I think I quote this more than Wayne's World. I can believe it. There are great skits. I'm the leprechaun. I'm the <laughs> leprechaun. Uh, it's okay. It's okay. You're giving me pot of gold. Hilarious, hilarious, hilarious. I'm not saying it's not a funny movie. It is. My cat hits me. I'm all movie. very well. If that is your custom, prepare to die. Yeah. <laughs> I showed it to my 11 year old son. It holds up. He laughed. I laughed. I haven't seen it in 25 years. My wife isn't sure she ever saw it. Even back in 1993, she laughed. I am saying this is a funny movie. I think it is not as good of a narrative journey. And do you know why the plot seems kind of like scatterbrained compared to one? Because <laughs> now I do. It was a nightmare Please to make. Them. Because the original plot, which they were all set to film, was to do Passport to Pimlico. <laughs> That's the British show, uh, film where a small area secedes from the U.S. after finding an ancient stroll, scroll saying, oh, this area, the Wayne's world, is its own separate country according to this ancient document. Fucking awesome. And, and they were all set to go through with it until they found a teeny, tiny hitch. So Mike Myers didn't realize that he actually had to get the rights to Passport to Pimlico before <laughs> rewriting passport to Pimlico and yeah. uh, the director said I could hear the chainsaws literally chopping the sets down studio executive oh, Sherry Lanzi was reportedly furious with Myers and threatened to ruin his career if he his did house. not produce a new script within weeks yeah and, and, and they brought back in Bonnie and Terry, Terry Turner, uh, the married uh, SNL. They write. They've been writing all the SNL movies up until this point, and I, I think Dana Carvey wasn't addressed at all in the script in the original script. Like Mike Myers had to come to the table and like give Dana Carvey something to do. I don't know how at the last minute that became Kim Basinger. <laughs> uh, it turns out it was Alec Baldwin. Her I don't doubt at the it. Time, talk, talked him into it. She she only did three days on set. That is 
such a wonderfully random thing to have happen. It's yep. like, oh, what's Garth doing? Garth has wandered into a film noir. Becoming a man. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, true. Good morning, Garth darling. <laughs> abs- accidentally on his own, just doing his laundry, which he doesn't know how to do because mom's always done it for him. So he shrinks all of his stuff. He's just wandered into um, Postman Always Rings Twice. Uh, that's the thing. Oh no, a gun! No, don't kill my husband! I won't let you! I won't! I won't! I won't! Yeah. Wayne, uh, Wayne's so world funny. was like, was like Ferris Bueller on a couple of beers, and mm. this is like, this is a sketch movie, and I yeah. think that that might be a better format to see Wayne and Garth again, because I always am a little disappointed when they come back to SNL. It's just like one one shot to camera <laughs> we're gonna sit sit on a couch they're a really funny duo and they're cartoon characters and so like it does kick shit up to a batshit degree i don't know anybody who's seen it who saw it back then and had any problem with it wayne's world world's fans liked it i don't know what the what the issue was because it wasn't a bomb it just oh it only made double its money back at the domestic box office <laughs> let's punish everybody yeah. but i think mike meyer said i'll never make another movie at paramount they threatened to take away everything from me uh hey. dana carvey was had it was on his own trajectory they didn't add a part for him uh penelope spurious is long gone saying she'll never work with mike myers again and he goes off to make austin powers i i find it bizarre this wasn't readdressed in another film somewhere just DoorDash what, commercials recast uh Wayne and Garth hell no no then how would you make it both of their careers went in completely different directions until such a point as they'd be really too old I know which is the- Wayne and Garth I I thought Bill and Ted worked as mm. senior citizens because they were time travelers <laughs> I do not want to see 60 year old Wayne and Garth I do, I do no. not I mean, there was just something about that early 90s time. You got Bill and Ted, uh, Beavis and Butthead, Wayne's World. The early 90s was like the holy grail of dumb young dudes. And dumb young dudes are funny. I'm not sure you can watch dumb young dudes grow up into old men and not get sad. Uh, I'd really like Bill and Ted. I think that might be the perfect comedy. Because of time travel. I don't know. It was still really... I just love those characters. I love that Mike Myers and Dana Carvey, they had a over-decade-long beef with one another and mm-hmm. a totally... That is, like, so in the in their rear view. I yeah. also would like to see... Nothing but great things happen to Dana Carvey in light of his fucking month um, that he's had. I would really like mm-hmm. more good... His son died. His, oh God! His, his, and I, I, I like I, I, Dana Carvey is my favorite SNL cast member, and I don't think his film career went the way any of us wanted it to. But he he sounds happy, and he's so good at this stuff, and it's such a good. He gets to do impressions as Garth in this movie. It's awesome. <laughs> Let yep. me pitch this: Wayne's World three, the animated film. Just have them voice Maybe. it. Just have these characters still be young and dumb, but you know. Or is it about getting them back together? Because <laughs> they're now they're now Fox Fox News presenters. Cars. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I just don't. Uh, did you hear the applause when they came out to talk about Bohemian Rhapsody? The world remembers this comedy duo. I love these characters. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I I will absolutely 
be there if they make Wayne's World 3. I just don't think they should. I, I just, I wish they didn't stop making SNL movies. If you didn't see the Please Don't Destroy movie, I thought it was excellent. I thought it was really funny. This uh, is the first time hearing of that, it. And that's the closest thing SNL's had to a movie since MacGruber in 2010. And so why not an R-rated cinematic approach to sketch comedy? This is the perfect template using the, their some of their most popular characters. I, I love this movie. Uh, Brett, I remember Brett and I were like semi recently were wondering about it and like let's just go watch it. And that's something we rarely do unless it's for work, and we laughed our asses off. Yes, he received a Sports Illustrated football phone. I only <laughs> just learned that is legendary Jim Downey reprising his voiceover role for James Hong. Jim Downey, legendary SNL writer, uh, Norm's co-writer, Weekend Update, and they did a sketch with Bill Murray where he played an Italian Hercules movie, but Bill Murray had gained too much weight. You must lift that boulder. I would prefer a smaller boulder. It would be easier to lift. (laughs) All right. Well, let me talk about who I'm really glad they brought in. Ralph Brown as Del Preston, the greatest roadie of all time. Yeah. Oh. Danny the drug dealer from With Nail and I. Clearly. Meyer said he wanted to play the same character. Yeah, he pretty much is. He pretty much is, but yeah, obviously Mike Myers is a giant uh, British comedy nerd. That's why he tried to rip off Passport to Pimlico, and obviously with Neil and I is like a seminal British cult film. He's the inventor of the Camberwell carrot. <laughs> Point. The size and shape of a carrot. Uh, and and- <laughs> the, ca- the, the, the cameos, now this is a bona fide hit, Tim Meadows in there is a Sammy Davis Jr. Yeah, man, dig this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Chris Farley with the meteor role um, and my perhaps my absolute favorite cameo of all time, Charlton Heston. Oh, sure that can get a better action than this. That was just brilliant. Uh, there was this so awesome. guy who wasn't acting very well. And Wayne says, I know this is a small role, but can't we get someone better? And then they bring in Charlton Heston <laughs> to give a great performance Gordon on Street. a Know Nothing line. I once <laughs> knew a girl on Gordon Street, and I'll never forget. I love this movie. I I, I don't know. I might prefer... Wayne's World is amazing, but this is joyous. This is absolutely a joyous comedy Wayne's role. World- in some ways, is more interesting. It's definitely more interestingly directed in the way that the camera is a full character in that movie. Mm-hmm. And this is a little more, you know, standard. But I'm sorry, that ending graduate riff, it sent me down a weird rabbit hole about, because they go to the actual church from yeah. the graduate. And it made me think about, like, do they still do weddings? And <laughs> yes, they do. But to go along with you in this rabbit hole, however deep it may be, Diana... Yes, they of course they still do weddings. They are a church in Laverne. They're about half an hour outside the city, and I really want to like. Do they just get a bunch of like film nerds all the time saying, "Hey, I we want to have our wedding here. Please, please don't, don't, don't lock the door to upstairs though. We're gonna do a thing." <laughs> they like don't fucking bang on our glass anymore. God damn it! Stop going up there. Go get loud. We have replaced our glass ten times this year, people. <laughs> Ten times. You know how many times most churches replace their glass? None. And we're at ten times this year. And uh, I was excited to see. I've seen this movie so many times. I quote Bob Odenkirk and Robert Smigel 
Uh, as the Wayne's, Wayne's World party, party, party. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it exciting to go to the city? My ma gave me a dollar and dropped me off at the park and ride. I've seen this movie so many fucking times. Uh, I can quote almost all of it. I, I'm from Wilmette. I've looked up all these places. They are all real places. Wayne's World 2 is fucking nonstop hilarious and like well done. More well done than like those loaded weapon parody fatal instinct movies we've been talking about Great i'm gonna go time. here do we have a star wars versus empire situation star wars had to do all the heavy lifting yeah. had to set up all the characters had to let you know where these people are so that when empire happened it didn't have to do that world building it just plopped you in so you got to enjoy the ride without the world building could you enjoy wayne's world 2 if you had never seen Wayne's World one and had never known who Wayne was, I don't, I don't know, I don't because that, that, that that's what I came away with uh, when we did Sick of Star Wars on patreoncom time five bucks, y'all. Uh, I'm tired of that. Art. Empire's a better movie. Like every movie that doesn't have to lay any groundwork is a better movie that just gets to like it's a hang glider hitting the ground at full speed. Everything's been laid out for it. Star Wars is is amazing in how it lays out everything and makes a competent action movie out of fucking nothing. So is Wayne's World. Also, well, I mean, I would argue Wayne's World. It does the it, it sets the table in ten seconds of him turning to the camera and saying, "Hi, I'm Wayne Campbell. This is my public access show. This is my friend car." <laughs> you you will almost That's forget they have day know. jobs. They never do their jobs. But That's I, it. All right, That's, but, there doesn't need to be table setting. We know. Hard, hard recommend for Wayne's World re- 2. It was a hard recommend. I was expecting it to be a pretty good recommend, and I was like, I'm sorry, once I see the second Presbyterian church, <laughs> I laughed so fucking hard. And uh, oh I don't know God. why. I, I, if I my com- critiques, listener, this is also a hard recommend for me. Like I said, I laughed, my wife laughed, my son laughed. It's a good film. I just think the story it tells is not mm-hmm. as good as Wayne World's one. And we didn't even mention Aerosmith, which I'm proud of. And the only other thing I had listed is it. we didn't have the internet. I didn't know who Heather Locklear was, but she's what? mentioned constantly in Wayne's but, World. But you were a heterosexual man. I, but I wasn't watching Dallas. I don't know. What was she uh, like just coming on Melrose Place? I don't think she came oh. on Melrose Place till after this. She hosts wow. SNL next okay. year. Pause. Pause, guys. I absolutely know who Heather Locklear is, 100%. Sure. I, I knew she was attractive back in 1993. At this moment in time, I cannot tell you what she's famous for. Yeah, like, she, she was famous to, to me mind. for calming down Garth when he got upset in SNL sketches. They would mention <laughs> her all the time. So her appearing in this movie was like, oh, oh, I see why. You, yeah, okay. <laughs> she's a very pretty lady. <laughs> yep. Had never seen her before. Wayne's World 2. A billion <sighs> recommends. A billion. Yep. Big recommend. Love A billion. Fun. We got to move on because Jesus Christ, this is already getting to be a long one. TV of 1993, December 8th through the 14th. JR, you're at bat with, uh, with some coach. <laughs> some coach. Okay. <laughs> Listeners, this is the only episode of Coach that I remember vividly. Okay. <laughs> coach ran a ridiculous numbers of episodes. Mm-hmm. I watched Coach because it was TV yeah. and it was on. Another decade and it was syndication. On syndication. So I no. watched it again in syndication. I remember nothing about Coach except this episode, Christmas of the Van Dam. Great title. It is, 100%. <laughs> so 
Luther buys a book of all the Van Dams in America, and it tells you how they were related. Uh, listeners before 23 and me, this was actually a thing. You could like get a book and find like, oh, here's my genealogy and listed it all. And he doesn't have any family. So he calls up this random stranger and starts listing. I'm your cousin twice removed through Robert's uh, nephew. And they're like, okay, come to our family reunion. And uh, Luther goes to the family reunion, makes a comedy of errors. Now, in my mind, the comedy of errors was this epic noises off scene <laughs> where one thing led to the next. And it was just this huge, colossal thing. Listeners, yeah. I rewatched an episode of Coach <laughs> for you. Wow. This epic uh, French farce lasted 45 seconds on the show. I timed it. Wow. It was like three things. And yet in my mind, that was evergreen comedy gold. Gold, listeners. And it's just this goofball thing where he embarrasses himself at his uh, newfound uh, families, and then he uh, tries to get them to come to his party. They all decline. He's all alone. And then Coach shows up, and it's a warm, heartening thing. But what I'm saying is your memories are garbage. <laughs> you can <laughs> never trust them in the slightest mm. at all. I, I don't know if you are impugning jerry van dyke at this moment <gasps> to be fair that got a chuckle because uh dick van dyke does get a cameo in this episode yeah. oh, all this yeah, jerry van dyke is his younger brother um and he's like the he's like the regular size dick van dyke like dick van dyke's <laughs> really tall and reedy and jerry van dyke's like a little guy normal chin all yeah, this all but, this and uh Oh, I just forgot what I was going to say. All this and Patrick Starr. How did I miss out on this? Yeah, that's true, Patrick Starr. Listeners, if there is any episode of a forgotten TV show, you know, there are tons of TV shows from the 80s and 90s that ran seven, eight seasons and got more ratings than some Super Bowls get today and are just utterly forgotten. If one episode of those forgotten TV shows burns bright in your mind, Learn from my mistake. Do <laughs> Leave not. It. Leave it. Do be. not rewatch it, listener. Steal it. Steal from it. Make your own episode that's all about that memory. Uh, uh, I, I, I watched it on FUBU, Freebie. Fub. Quit making Quit. stuff up, man. We're supposed to give people resources. Name I, a real streaming it, service. It is a real. I can't remember it. It sounds fake. FUBO. For Fubo? us, by us, the streaming service. <laughs> I don't think that's it. Um, Tubi? Tubi. 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 That is a real thing. Tubi. It is a real thing. I just, I put this down just because I, I like saying one of the people's names. Uh, to Dance with a White Dog is a who gives a shit TV movie that comes out, but is the final pairing of married actors, Jessica Tandy and Hume Cronin. I never get tired of saying the name Hume Cronin. And uh, I never get tired of plugging Batteries Not Included, one of the finest movies ever made. And yep. Tandy's dead in like a year, but they were in a yeah. ton of stuff together. Yeah, and, they were married like 50 years, man. Mm -hmm. Over 50 years. Yes. And, and, then, they, and they lived to be 118 each. What? <laughs> and, and, uh, and then HBO, having a big old week here, uh, became a 
Place for Weird Christmas Specials following Emmett Otter in 1977. We got The Country Mouse and the City Mouse, A Christmas Tale. I found this very hard to Google. This is based on mm. an existing series that has had several other series and other lands <laughs> and, and like which one was the one that aired on hbo i didn't see it i don't know what it is i don't know but the country mouse and city mouse is a uh archetype yep. that i feel is just dead in 2023 <laughs> even back in 1993 it was kind of antique you know back in the 1950s uh, like a quarter of americans lived on farms most were moving off most people had a cousin or a grandparent who lived on a farm a literal farm mm-hmm. today it's like one percent of right. americans are farmers and so even the in whole like rural farm- alabama you know what they have gay kids and they're gonna live exactly like it's soho even if it's in like <laughs> rural mm-hmm. birmingham uh, yeah well, well i always yeah. like to say that i moved to uh Rural North Carolina, I could stand on the hot tub in my uh, backyard and see cows, and I could get good sushi within a 10-minute drive. (laughs) Great to point out. Also uh, great on HBO this week, I love HBO Shock video debuts. And if you don't remember, that was like a... YouTube compilation of the naughtiest shit you were never supposed to see. But the first one started out with like, uh, here's how cameras are coming, solving crimes. They become more ubiquitous. The second shock video dealt with cameras in the courtroom in the OJ era, how camera. And then I'm sure as HBO kids will remember the third shock video, here's what tits and dick look like all over the world. And like, that's what the show became forever after. And it was all the better for it. It, the first time I saw an erect penis on HBO was like a Swedish game show. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember those. Yes. Where there was, yeah, these like really sexy foreign game shows or like, did you know some people film themselves having sex and then watch it together? Yes. Or they're, nah, I don't believe that. You'll have what? to show me video evidence 1993 HBO. Yeah, let's see it's- it. It's, well, I only Unless mention it because it, it's rainy, badly lit VHS, baby. I only mention it because it, it starts out just like this adorable documentary series of like cameras are changing our lives, guys. Like it's the it's the internet, but also there is a very uh, specific Mister Show sketch you will not get without this documentary, and that's the babysitter <laughs> beating up, abusing the kid. Uh, and, then, and then last but certainly not leastly, Attack of the Fifty Foot Woman on HBO yeah. airs. Daryl Hannah and Daniel Baldwin. A really good forgotten Christopher Guest comedy remaking the 1958 spiritual sequel to the missing MST3K episode, The Amazing Colossal Man, uh, namesake of the Gilbert Godfrey podcast. But like Daryl Hannah as a woman who grows to be just a batshit like, yeah, she gets hit by a UFO, whatever, uh, with with more feminist qualities and like 1950s effects done to perfection. It looks yeah. so cool. I love this movie. I'd watch the original for its camp value, mm-hmm. but it's kind of un it's a little less said, the feminism, and mm-hmm. then the remake they just go for it. It's like her husband treats her like shit, wants to get rid of her, trying to steal her money. She gets hit by a beam with UFO, and now her inner rage causes her to grow fifty feet tall and try to kill his ass. Yeah, Hulk out. Yeah, girl. And really yeah. some of the coolest practical effects special set pieces that the old movies. What a great thing to remake. I miss that period. That's how we got John Carpenter's The Thing and uh, 
<laughs> Toby Hooper's Invaders from Mars. There were more, but like remake the blob, like making dope remakes of campy movies. That shouldn't. That should be what you remake first. Uh, TV movie Gypsy is also out this week with Bette Midler, Peter Riegert, Cynthia Gibb, and Michael Jeter. Yep. Let's do the the musical. Which I still wonder, like, what are we going to do about that title? Because that title is kind of a slur, but that was the name she used. Mm. I mean, it's been a lot of people's name throughout history. Yeah. yeah. They changed yeah. it in MST. They did. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's Pat Midler is Mama Rose. Of course she's going to eat all the scenery and leave no crumbs and kick everyone's ass <laughs> and sing real big. Oh, uh, okay. This might have to be lighter. Northern Exposure's First Snow. I have never... Just had a conversation with my lady friend. She was appalled and shocked. I have never seen Northern Exposure. You guys can oh, take this one. So good. This is a really touching episode. Uh, so Joel is puzzled and disturbed when an elderly but healthy patient informs her that it's her time to die and she's just saying goodbye to everyone. So goodbye, Dr. Joel. And, you know, Joel is a man of science. So he runs every test and he says, you're fine. You're not going to die. And then... You know, being a TV show, she was right. The man of science is wrong. She passed away, and he's just utterly heartbroken with it. And it's a really amazing examination of mortality and how we deal with those final moments. For 1993 network television, it doesn't get much better than this. I I do like to highlight our age differences here. Two weeks ago, I'm telling you guys about Pete and Pete. Mm-hmm. And this show, when you talk about it, it reminds me a little of Pete and Pete. But that's mm-hmm. that's how our seemingly insignificant now age difference, that's what highlights the difference of what we were watching. I was watching Pete and Pete. You were watching Northern Exposure. But we were getting kind of the same icing. Uh, yep. Pretty neat. And it's more pronounced in 1993 than it is in 2003 sure. or God knows 2013. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I'm only a couple, excuse me. I'm only a couple of years older than Chris, but also I was what watching two? like grown up stuff. That's all. I just wanted to watch grown up stuff. So it was already skewing even older. That's and- why I was watching LA Law like a weirdo. <laughs> I I was a weird mixture. You know, I was totally into Northern Exposure and then rushing home to watch the latest Batman, the animated series. Hell yeah. Mm. Hell yeah. JR is the baby bear porridge in this trio. Um, and then <laughs> just right. Not too hot, not too cold. Don't overthink it, JR. You look very okay. confused. <laughs> don't, don't overthink it. Uh, up next... Uh, you know that Skylar photo where she's doing uh, math yeah. equations? Yeah. It's a mem. Um, yeah. up, up next, a TV movie, David Copperfield. TV okay. animated movie. Animated musical starring the voices of Julian Lennon, Sheena Easton, Kelly LeBrock, and Howie Mandel. What? I know. Oh, I I'm even, as confused as everyone. I don't even want to mention now, to this day, I have no idea what David Copperfield is about, and I can only think of The Magician. No idea what this is about. Actually... Same. Yeah, I've, I've never, I've never watched that. a film version. I've never read the book. So every time I think I see it, I'm like, "You promise that's not Oliver?" I have no idea if that's not Oliver Twist. Uh, but a clip from uh, the animated musical David Copperfield. All of us missed out on. I hate boys. Boys turn into men, and men. Well, where's my girl? Where's my sweet little pearl? Where's my bundle of joy? Diana's face wow. is wonderful right now. I hate boys. This song. 
Is that that's true to the spirit of David Copperfield? I have no idea. You have no idea. Let's just say yes. What's the boy version of misogyny? Is that just misogyny? No, no. Uh, misandry. Oh, misandry. Oh, right. I, I don't... They're, they're cats and mice and stuff in... Oh, my God. <laughs> Seinfeld this week. The cigar store Indian <laughs> airs. Another thing that might not fly too well. What's, well, what... the whole thrust of this is that Jerry is a complete and fucking moron for buying this uh, cigar store Indian. I would Listeners, totally, I would uh, totally buy this that. was a real thing. Yep. Uh, e- even now in some uh, isolated rural areas, let's say, you can find uh, Native American wooden depictions. What's that horror, mo- horror movie where that's the thing killing and killing some of everybody. them cannot be? Mm-hmm. There's a horror movie where the cigar store Indian's killing everybody. Um, Good for him. Okay. Uh, We got a clip from uh, this. Yeah, the original draft was Jerry was going to buy a moose head and a vegetarian was going to get defended. Uh, Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld workshopped that and decided they wanted to be more politically incorrect. And they went with the cigar store Indian. Jerry gives it to Elaine, who is present with uh, a Native American girl Jerry is trying to date. Jerry does the most offensive thing saying like we smoke them peace pipe uh, uh <laughs> it is how the most did he get away with that uh he did not <laughs> oh he okay. he uh he the audience laughs at how bad he is being to be fair in 19 even in 1993 it was meant to be hey jerry this is really fucking stupid of you um, and then, because it's Seinfeld, things keep getting worse, and he makes it up to the Native American woman he's trying to date, and then uh, he's uh, walking around with her, and he wants to take her out to a Chinese restaurant. He sees a mailman, and he says this. Any time with me at all. You see, I'm very sensitive to these matters as well. <laughs> you wouldn't be hungry by any chance, would you? I guess I could go for a bite. You like Chinese food? Because I once went to a great Szechuan restaurant in this neighborhood. I don't remember the exact address. Uh, excuse me, you must know where the Chinese restaurant is around here. Why must I know? Because I'm Chinese. You think I know where all the Chinese restaurants are? Oh, ask all about Chinaman for location or less than I have to visit the mailman. You would know the neighborhood. Oh, hello, American Joe. Which way to Hamburg hot dog stand? <laughs> I could tell you that. I could tell you that. Ask me. Uh, But uh, the actress who plays the Native American girl uh, Jerry is trying to date can now be found on Reservation Dogs. Oh, cool. It's a good show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then last but certainly not leastly, MST3K, uh, one of our favorite shows. I don't care if you don't care about it, listeners, because you should. Outlaw slash Outlaw of Gore slash Gore 2. It's confusing. I don't know the Gore books. But I love Jack okay. P- Palance and Silly Hats. It's <sighs> Okay, sci-fi has a lot to answer for, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, you can claim, like, soap operas, you know, uh, are cheesy and trashy. Very few religions have been founded off of uh, soap operas. We've got <laughs> one religion based <laughs> off of a sci-fi series and kind of close to another one based on the gore series of fantasy novels what What? i'm not making this up diana in the bdsm community gorian is a lifestyle Ah. it is people who like to have the male be in a very dominant position and the female be 
basically a slave. Gorian mm. listeners, keep I'm going. not trying I'm, to discourage no, you. No, keep going. I am almost done. Go. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, that series of novels uh, inspired a huge sector in the BDSM community, and it turned into an incredibly cheesy, horrible 1980s Sand and Sandals film, which I think is the thirstiest episode of MST3K because there is so much flesh on display, in fact. In fact, I think they wrote a song wrote about a song it. about it. Say, fellas, there sure is a lot of skin in this movie in there. There sure is. Yeah. Yet despite all the acres of flesh in this film, I just can't come up with a word that describes it. Well, I can. You can. Why, sure. It's breastica, boobical, chestica, mammical, pendular, globular, fun. Flashical, orbital, mongular, scupular? Right, oh, that's the one. Is it gluteal, maximal, tritial, dracula, bunular, morning till night? Well, your absental, glandular, fanny, fantastical, mastoca, fleshular, right? It's an areological, autoerotical, tubular, boobular, joy. Exclusive, regional, bachical, pouchular, fun for girl and boy. I put this on so many mix CDs I am shocked shocked I still have friends it, like <laughs> I, I was not reading the lyrics there I was going off of memory so I was part of a Usenet Usenet group listeners called recreation.arts.tv.mst3k.miscellaneous cuz that's how we had to do things back in the day and one of the quasi founders was Cool. Very into breast. Oh. I'm not mm. saying that to disparage him. It was just his thing. And it kind of like permeated the group in various ways. And anytime things would get a little too breast heavy, we would bust out the lyrics to this song. <laughs> Wabada boobular. <laughs> it's, mm. Again, why well, I, I know MSCCK is not for anybody. That's really clever. That's They wrote a whole song up. PG song about tits and book yep. like great because uh, you know barbarians and slave girls that's mm-hmm. the fucking movie it is and it's listeners fun. if you have any skills with AI art generation please put the lyrics into wow. this song wow. into no 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 we'll <laughs> see what no. Mid Journey has to say about this I think this is also the episode where they end invention exchanges because that was really Joel's thing. Oh, didn't yeah. get brought up, brought back until the reboot, which just failed to launch itself. Thanks, fans. Um, no, hey, 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 the fans came out. It was a poor, bad timing, non Kickstarter with bad timing. Mm-hmm. They're gonna revamp it. I guarantee no, no, you. No, I'm talking about one listener with a 2.5 million dollars that could have saved everything. <laughs> and okay, but then we got to move on to the game because the game is huge generation defining genre defining uh era defining it doesn't get much bigger than fucking doom on the pc oh my all right diana is this a rare video game you have played this is a rare video game i've played not extensively but what is there to play extensively is hallways and shooting things yeah well i I, i'm shocked because i looked at the numbers and like it sold eight million copies i'm like that seems low. Oh my God, I never paid for Doom. I never <laughs> I played no. Doom a thousand times. I never paid for it. I don't know that I pirated uh, it, but I definitely okay. played it at friends' houses. I definitely played it in fucking middle schools when people would secretly load it onto a computer. I played it in <laughs> libraries. You can play it now on your Apple Watch. You can play Doom anywhere. <laughs> Listeners, this, this is my deep, dark shame. 
Okay, <gasps> I don't believe in piracy. I really don't. Doom is the very first video game I ever pirated. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure that is true of so many people. And also the first game people modded. Yeah. 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 Uh, there my was friend a... Had a... My friend had a Star... Uh, it was a Star Wars mod. We sh shot the Stormtroopers. But in my defense, listeners, here's the full story. There was a guy at my high school or junior high. No, high school. Yes, high school at this point who was uh, selling pirated copies of Doom wow. for like three dollars. Wow. And that, I was like, that's quite an undercut. <laughs> OK, I'll, I'll buy you for this pirated copy. And I gave him my money and I got it home and it didn't install correctly for whatever reason it didn't install correctly and then i like was racked with guilt listeners i am not kidding i was like i'd read like in pc gamer or whatever how evil piracy was and i was like oh my gosh i stole a game i've never stolen anything in my life and now god is punishing me by not having this <laughs> game installed so i rushed out bought a legal copy of it and then the guy who sold me the pirated version said, hey, there was something wrong with my code. Let me give you the right version. And I was just like, uh, 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 it, it actually installed fine with me. And he was like, that's impossible. I was like, I don't know. It did. And he was like, fine, whatever. But Doom is such a moment in 1993. It changed video games forever. It's a, it's it was a way of life. Shareware. It is. I <laughs> I tell I tell you in the '90s there were not more books about any other singular video game or video game series than Doom, bigger than Mario, bigger than Madden, bigger than uh, Bonanza Brothers even. But, but Doom was fucking everywhere. It taught a lot of people cut their teeth on game development here. And just to put this in perspective, Doom was not non-controversial, a violent game with oh. satanic undertones. It's brought up by the mainstream news about Columbine six mm -hmm. years later. Six Can years you later. Imagine a video game yeah. that makes the news six, six years. years after its release. Six years after the fact. It was still shocking the greatest generation, I guess. I don't I don't know. I remember hearing like we're blaming Doom. There's a lot there's yeah. a lot more violence was, stuff out there. It was referenced everywhere. Friends is not out yet, and it will reference Doom. Mm -hmm. Okay. Doom was a phenomenon. It was, you know, clearly made by geeks on a combination of Metallica CDs, Jolt Pizza, and leftover D&D campaigns. Yeah. And that combination fucking works. I mean, by God, if you just want to fuck shut shit up and kill things, this is the game for you. I mean, the manual should say if it moves, kill it. it That's it. It's That's the manual. kind of perfect in like this. Doom 2 is out in a year. Those games will be supported for years, for years yeah. before there's an internet to download patches. There will yeah. still be additional and, stuff. And the so, modding community, as Diana mentioned, was huge. Mm -hmm. You know, the first thing I got do when I get on the internet in college in 1996, so, you know, three and a half years from now, is uh, download some mods for Doom, where I, like, turn Doom into... Uh, Captain N, the game master. You did not. Where, do where I hear Captain N sounds when I shoot things wow. instead of the Doom sounds. Mega wow, GR. So, You're doing so, so well. <laughs> so I'm looking because I'm thinking, is this the first first person shooter that I remember? I'm seeing, okay, Wolfenstein, Wolfenstein 3D came out in 1992. Mm -hmm. But this one is so much more violent yeah. than Wolfenstein, 100%. as I remember. 
And I think that's probably where the all the, the parental pearl clutching came from is the idea that it's like because it's first person, it is a murder simulator. This mm -hmm. is teaching the kill the children how to do a shooting. And it's how not to do murder Nazis. And it it's was a Columbine rumor that was completely one hundred percent false that they practice yeah. on a doom uh simulator that was not true. How at would all. that help you? Yeah, but I, I can shooting. imagine. I mean, I remember at the time just being like, oh, my God, this is brutal because, yeah, there's blood and brains are flying around. I mean, they're goofy, <laughs> pixelated. <blood>. They're, they're <laughs> 60p or so. <laughs> but, yeah, just the like, oh, my God. And because there's no rating system yet. So I, this is yeah. for anybody. Yeah, I think the first Doom game that gets rated is Doom 2 or the 32X port of this because it's constantly ported on things throughout the next decade because it is it, it's one of the top 10 most important games that has ever been made so 100%. it's it's mm -hmm. difficult to go on and on about and i don't want to because the show's already running long but it, it's it's impossible to overstate the importance of doom and and it's still like pretty fucking fun it instantly translates into everything it did right back then it, if you want to know more about Dune, I highly recommend Masters of Doom, specifically the audiobook about the making of Doom. Mm. It is up there with Console Wars as one of the top three books about video games of all time. It is just such an epic journey. You feel like you are in ID software with these guys the whole way. It is a great great book i really recommend it to anyone who cares about video game history yeah and unlike movies i just i don't know you could pull off such a feat with such a small team everybody should have got out of this multi-millionaires uh it's a it's an incredible story now owned by microsoft music of 1993 december 8th through the uh, 14th is how we'll close out the segment new releases include the self-titled album by charlie the charlie hunter trio what pop smear by the verb pipe uh world of noise by everclear this is 93 I guess all these alternative bands' first albums. Dance of December, uh, the debut of Catatonia, desensitized by uh, and desensitized by Pitch Shifter. Got through that little gassy. Apologies. But we'll close that with again by Janet Jackson because it's number one this week on the charts. But stay right there. We've got a lot more to talk about when we get back from this short break. Would you like exclusive bonus podcast commentaries and more from the Laser Time crew? Then we strongly encourage you to support this show on patreon.com slash laser time. It supports not only this show, but all the rest of the Laser Time network. You'll get commentaries, play games with the hosts, see exclusive videos first, and receive an uncut weekly ad-free podcast bonus time. Speaking of which, here's a quick taste. The 1980s were the golden age of mean hard R comedies. I think I was remembering my sanitized commercial television viewings because, like, Beverly D'Angelo's naked for, like, I, no reason, and I totally forgot I about that. I had forgotten all about that. Because yeah. th that shocked me, too. I was like, wait a minute. she We see her boobies a couple of times. I don't remember that. This might be a fact. This is the fourth National Lampoon movie? I yes. was shocked to find that out because there's two I have never seen or heard of there, in between Animal yeah, House. Two that are kind of lost. One of them's called uh, National Lampoon Goes to the Movies. And Class then, Reunion. Hmm, Class Reunion. Yeah, that's right. I think this is the last movie that where it's clearly defined, like, Harold Ramis is involved in this in some way. Like, we have some 
DNA of people who yeah. worked in National Lampoon magazine, mm-hmm. and now it's just kind of like anything goes. Now it's well, kind it, of like stoner frat comedies, but not always. They, it's really they, weird. The company doesn't exist, and they sold the I name have... to put on shitty movies that are like already being made, I believe, and they okay. just they'll affix the National Lampoon's. I guess the R is for the, the magazine's reputation itself. It was pretty fucking edgy for for its time. Get Bonus Time, a weekly uncensored and commercial-free podcast every Tuesday, starting for just $5 on Patreon.com slash LazerTime. Welcome to 2003, coming in with, for my money, I think one of the best songs of the decade, best pop songs of the decade. Hey Ya by Outcast. Yeah. it's number one. You shouldn't, you don't need me to tell you what it is. It's great. Yeah, but it has the, maybe the greatest mismatch between the lyrics and the beat mm-hmm. of any song of all time. Yeah. <laughs> Read the lyrics sometime. Okay. This is a breakup song. Oh, right. And, uh, and I, if I remember correctly. For YouTube, somebody, this song was so popular, they sunk it up to the Charlie Brown kids dancing in Charlie Brown Christmas. And the whole world was trying to take it down faster than, but it it was one of the first times I remember that happening. Like, it's out there now. You can't do anything about this. And who is working on behalf of Outkast or the Peanuts to ruin fun? What's going on? I, I guarantee you it's the Peanut copyright holders they're just like this is our know, brand man. those we music cannot. people were, were were like playing up being starving artists at that point but yeah, uh and still 20 years later nothing gets people on the dance floor faster than this it's true it's true it might not be, even not even staying alive nothing might be the only reason you get to talk about polaroid pictures 20 years from now <laughs> uh and then other new music releases include big money heavyweight by big timers the self-titled album by phoebe dobson hot and wet by 112 the self-titled album by Nick Cannon, uh, the reason uh, by Hoobastank, and uh, Soulful by American Idol with Ruben Stuttered. I'm going to rattle off this news real quick because we are short on time and there's a lot to talk about. No context here. Former Iraqi President Saddam Hussein is captured near his hometown of Tikrit by U.S. forces during Operation Red Dawn. Tell me again how video games influence real-world violence? Shut up. Uh, Mick Jagger is knighted, uh, and Paul Martin becomes Prime Minister of Canada after the resignation of Jean Chertet. Sorry, I don't know your Prime Minister's name, Canada. Chrétien. Chrétien. Uh, Disney's Pop Century Resort opens at Disney World, and I'm only tying that together. Did you see how much it cost Nick Cannon to take his children to Disneyland this weekend? All, like, 17 of them? Uh Two hundred thousand dollars, one fifth of one million dollars. He had to spend taking twelve kids. What? To di- and I'm sure there's a bit of an entourage there too. Yeah, nannies so, and such. I'm sure our foreign listeners are sick of hearing about this, but nine eleven. Oh yes, nine eleven influenced Disney's Pop Century Resort. So the whole I uh, Diana has a look on her face of I don't I don't know what this resort is. What is it was uh, based on decades. 
Yes. From oh. the 1950s so, budget motel. <laughs> mm -hmm. It was going to be the cheap resorts on the property, on Disney World property. Uh, and each uh, area was going to be like, here's the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. And that's what they opened first. And then they were planning to open up the 1900s to 1950s. But 9-11 happened, tourism crashed. And so they had this empty, giant property sitting there for, for about a decade yeah, where they were like, I don't know what to do with this. Does anyone want to go stay in the prohibition decade? No. <laughs> I mean, okay. I do, but you do? weird. I, sure. I stayed so, at one of these value resorts this year. Do you, how much is Disney world's value resort? Do you think $300 a night? It is exactly three hundred three fifty a night for a value resort, a seven inch television. It is like wow, this is real dog shit, guys. I'm, I'm pretty shocked, yeah. but the bus ride of the park is amazing. Can't beat yeah. that. Uh, so the only other things I want to say about Mick Jagger getting knighted is I guess he can't get any sir satisfaction. Oh, and also when Saddam Hussein was captured, I remember my girlfriend at the time going, ah. This will end it. This will be the end of the Iraq war now. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was that was kind of the hope. And I mean, honestly, he, he was captured the way I want to be captured, hiding in a hole with an AK-47 and $250,000 cash. <laughs> no, I think it was more. It was like $750,000. He had so much cash. Wow. And he's just hiding in a hole, like in a basement. They, they raided this place and they couldn't find him. And like one guy just sort of tripped over a thing that opened up. Oh, there's a hole. Oh, there's a guy. Oh, shit. I remember it because we will see it reflected on South Park next week. Not this week. Uh, Good Lord. And yeah, that would have been nice if that ended things, but uh, no. Moving on to the movies. Barbarian Invasions with Remy Girard, Stephanie Rousseau, and Mary Jose Cruz. Cruz, Cruz. It, I don't know this movie. This is a French-Canadian movie. Oh. I'm kind of surprised it's not the one that won at Cannes instead of Elephant, but... Uh, it's a Denny Arcan movie whose films I always enjoy. This is a follow-up to his decline of the American Empire. But it's not really about that. Really, it's about like family drama and that like the deadbeat dad is dying and they're trying to like deal with all the feelings that come up. But also like Denny Arcan, he covers stuff that sounds super heavy and it, it, it's actually pretty funny, like dark comedy kind of way. I admit I did not go back and rewatch it, but I did watch it 20 years ago and I quite enjoyed it. I mostly like everything he does. So mm. barbarian invasions. Uh, and next up our our weird uh, string of upcoming black remakes um, begins yep. with Steve yep. Harvey, Christina Milan, Nick Cannon. It's love. Don't cost a thing. So there is absolutely no reason the black community should not get its own version sure. of can't buy me love. A non-classic. Some other movies <laughs> yeah. besides "Can't Buy Me Love" before you remake the "Can't Buy Me Love." Yeah, dude, someone out there make a Black Gremlins at set at Christmas, please. <laughs> Name me your favorite black slasher film. Uh, Go ahead, try that. That recent Get Out. No, uh, mm. the Blackening was that the new one? Mm. Uh, keep that, getting re that's recommended. As close as, as we've got, and that's only in the current year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is, I mean, it's it's for teenagers, and that's fine. And it's the same idea of, like, 
he's a nerd and he pays the hot girl to help make him popular and he does this by like using all the money he was going to use for a thing that would get him a free ride at college it's like and his dad is steve harvey and steve harvey does not take the belt to him sorry nick cannon but also it, he looks really good with like more froed out hair I, I think you should go back to that if i can set off a minor controversy to any of our black listeners out there hey we got our own can't buy me love is it in any way angry it's still a hand-me-down you just said <laughs> yeah. something new you got this this pretty silly story of buying a girlfriend now was, when i say yeah. this is a remake of it i mean this is a line by line remake at various times popularity sure beats being treated like a social leper popularity is so much better than being treated like a social leper she's giving more rise than greyhound she's giving more rise than greyhound what the fuck they didn't even change the jokes something more modern <laughs> uh, that's that's a little silly um a little lazy uh okay here here's the movie i'm most conflicted about this episode the cast is very hard to like. I feel like if I read the cast, I'm like, you guess what movie this is, and most of you never would. I somehow saw it in theaters and own it on DVD. Share Ava Mendez, Greg Kinnear, and Matt Damon in the Fairly Brothers Stuck on You on December 12th. Hey, you guys are stuck together. Two brothers, Siamese twins, ain't the easiest sell I've ever had. We're not Siamese, we're American who always stick together. What's up, Double Trouble? From the Fairley Brothers. Stuck on you. Is this terrible? No. I yeah. In fact, I will argue this might be the Fairley Brothers movie I enjoy the most. Yeah, I'm 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 there sometimes. It's like they just man, they just got out of their laughing at mentally challenged people phase. Instead, make a pretty heartfelt film about people with disabilities yeah well that, that's the weird thing is that they did shallow hell for yeah. this which is again laughing at people with differences and then this one is about conjoined twins and it has so much more heart than anything else that they do yeah it, it's it's like we're watching them grow up for me felt what felt like a fast time uh, they reached a huge point of success where there's something about Mary and it is dis- diminishing returns after that forever. But this yeah. is at least like, I don't want to say they're most ambitious, but they, I think they find a new tone and they start casting a lot of people with r- real people with disabilities too so that they can make jokes instead of being the butt of them. And I think that's yeah. admirable because I don't know any other comedies that are doing that that aren't trying to tug your heartstrings at all. Yeah, I, I mean, in a way, in a way, this movie, because it's about, yeah, two brothers who are conjoined twins, and one is much more outgoing, and he wants to be an actor. And so they move to L.A. so he can be an actor, but his brother is always there kind of trying to hide behind scenery and stuff. And and I like I appreciate that that's actually kind of a pro-disability thing of like, yeah, if this guy's a good actor, it's like we said with Peter Dinklage last week. If this guy is a good actor, yeah, he should be able to play any part regardless of his physical differences. So, yeah, put this guy in this TV show. The thing that puts this over the top for me, obviously, is going to be Cher. Unbelievable. Cher takes the piss out of herself so well in this. And, like, she's a person who, you know, does comedy, but not this goofy comedy. And that she runs with the joke of, like, I don't want to do a TV show. I have a goddamn Oscar. I'm fucking Cher. (laughs) I hate this show. And then it's a hit, and she's like, okay, fine. 
<laughs> and also because people might not remember as much now that it was tabloid fodder that she dated a lot of younger men. Because she's fucking Cher. And in this, she's dating Frankie Muniz. I, and that's a joke you should not be able to get away with at any time. I'm yeah. more confused. How do they get Matt Damon in this in between Bourne movies? <laughs> so, Diana, I get that joke. But for uh, our listeners who may not, why don't you explain it to them? Well, okay, Frankie Muniz turns out was like 17 when they made this. So he was Uh-oh. almost legal. Gotcha. Almost. But he always looked a lot younger and he's still playing a teenager on TV. So the idea that, yeah, sure, you know, she would date guys that are 20 years younger than her, but they're still over 30. (laughs) She's like in bed with him and telling him he needs to go to bed because he has a math test tomorrow. It's like, oh, (laughs) God damn, Cher. I I had a crush on Cher, to be fair, in 1993. Mm. I had a total crush on Cher. That's the closest 30 twins 2010 has for somebody coming out of the closet. Uh, JR, you don't like women. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I was the first butt I ever admired was Cher on that fucking battleship. Very confusing messages yeah. to my little ding dong. Oh, I think they were pretty clear messages. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Very clear but indeed. This, this movie is kind of worth revisiting. Just that like, yeah. I don't know of anything else like it really. It is stupid in the right way exactly it is so broad and so stupid of course you know one of them is a womanizer and they've got a little sheet up so they can fuck behind the sheet but (laughs) he's still right there and this is one point it's like hey turn over we're gonna do doggy style okay and something about putting these two like oscar nominated actors or (laughs) in in these roles that like normally would go to comedians they're just playing it super straight not on like fucking airplane or something okay this is not funny but it's a little funny. I did read about a pair of Siamese twins who one of them was gay and the other was not. Oh, boy. And better learn. Wow, that could be a movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. That could be. Also, I like the original idea was for them to be way more mismatched. Like they wanted to, Leonardo DiCaprio and Woody Allen. Jim Carrey and Woody, Woody Allen was where it was going. That which... and and. That's and they even they have like an in movie reason of like well the one that doesn't have most of the liver he's going to age faster. It's true because sure. uh, apparently all conjoined twins are identical. They do not have fraternal twins. Mm, no, I don't know. If Allegedly, they are. yeah, that, that that that's part of the process or something like that. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I <clears> guess that makes sense of the ones that I've seen. Um, yeah, this is one. It's like I almost want to call it a guilty pleasure and then rewatch. It. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to own this. This this movie has. A, a lot more charm to it than most Farrelly Brothers stuff. Also yeah. has another one with just a ridiculous amount of cameos of people doing silly things. Meryl Streep shows up in a Farrelly Brothers movie. What, what the yep. fuck? Uh, uh, the acting debut of presidential candidate Ben Carson playing Ben <laughs> yeah. Carson is in this movie? You don't believe that? My God, I screamed. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, like I, I read about it first. I'm like, I probably won't recognize him. He's given lines. <laughs> and his name he's is Dr. Ben Carson in the movie. <laughs> he's a very famous neurosurgeon at this time. Yes. I guess. Uh Cameron Diaz pops up out of nowhere. It's fucking nuts. Like uh how many it, it, this feels like the most forgotten Fairly Brothers movie other than the Dumb and Dumber 2. Mm. Uh but yeah, like I I think this is like paving the way to Green Book, like just a little more oh. some kind of humanist heart is developing these guys that started out as kind of laugh at everybody gross out uh kind of humor 
it's maturing, just not by very much. <laughs> so mm. I, I find it, I don't know it as anybody's favorite movie, but I would love to hear from you if it is your fa- favorite Fairly Brothers movie. Also, rewatch something about Mary and Dumb and Dumber. And then no. yeah. last in incredibly leastly. No, uh, wrong. I know. You're I'm, so wrong. Frances McDormand, Amanda Peet, Keanu Reeves, Diane Keaton, and Jack Nicholson. It's numbered at the box office. It is. I'm sorry, I had to do it. No, it is. Something's got to give. Harry Sanborn has a reputation for going from girl to girl to girl. But he's about to encounter something new. I'm the mother. Jack Nicholson, Diane Keaton. What's with the turtlenecks? You never get hot? Not lately. From the director of What Women Want. Something's gotta give. So, I, Diana, I did not rewatch this. I watched it when it came out, and obviously I'm a little young to be the target audience, but I did learn what a Nancy Myers kitchen was while watching a bunch of yeah. Hallmark Christmas movies, and that's about as much research as I did into this film. <laughs> well, once again, I know the answer to this, but why don't you explain to our listeners what a Nancy Myers kitchen is? Open plan large counter space usually people can eat on the other side of it uh everything they do on those fucking home makeover shows for the most part white lady kitchens lots of I light lots of natural Nancy light Myers kitchen, you might have fair any- we did a home remodel and like the kitchen was the one area where i was like you know what we spend so much freaking time in here let's make this big or go home did you open up the floor plan put a new uh, backsplash we busted out <laughs> a built-in desk which i was like why on earth do we want a built-in desk for For your hardline telephone you can keep your rolodex next to it (laughs) (laughs) but anyways uh this film has moments of real humanity and then it just goes right into a slapstick farce so i have a good friend who shall remain nameless he's 54 he only dates women who are about 30 years younger than him Oh, honey, no. Yeah, yeah, that's... Oddly enough, he's not married. Who would have guessed? But uh, that's his thing. So I'm familiar with this archetype. I'm familiar with a guy who only dates significantly younger women. And I think they give Jack Nicholson humanity. They show him he's not just this sleazeball... This is just how he is. And then we see him change and grow, which I enjoyed. But I think they biffed the ending. Mm. The I have some issues with the ending, but all right. So they pretty much explained it right there. Jack Nicholson is playing a riff on himself of an older guy who only dates younger women. In this case, it's Amanda Pete. They're going to mom's ridiculous house in the Hamptons. It's, oh, it's our beach cottage. Like, fuck you. You guys are trillionaires. (laughs) She is projected as an incredibly successful playwright who has had multiple Broadway hits, who's just a name in the literary field. So it's it's within the context of the film. It's understandable. Yeah, it's It's understandable. not like, gosh, I spend every second Sunday selling pies, and now I own a (laughs) home that's worth $1 million in rural uh, Kentucky, uh, and I've never heard of meth. Right. (laughs) But so, yeah, they they go, and turns out uh, her 
mom Diane Keaton and her aunt Frances McDormand are there and they're like it's okay we can be mature you're a grown adult you want to date with a much older man sure whatever he has a heart attack and now he's told by sexy Dr. Keanu Reeves you got to stay here and recuperate so you have twin storylines well, really three storylines Jack Nicholson is an old horn dog dating much younger women because they're less challenging Diane Keaton is an older woman who's not dating anyone because she doesn't want to deal with this bullshit. But then she thinks maybe I could date Keanu Reeves, who's much younger and less challenging. And then their relationship with each other of starting to realize, actually, we are pretty fucking simpatico, even though we seem very opposite. Like we actually have much more in common. Maybe we should be together. And the pacing of it is weird because they get together halfway through the movie. Yeah, and well, then, it's, it's a sex romp for seniors. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. They they get together halfway through the movie. They have like a crazy week or something, and then it's about them sort of negotiating the feelings after that and trying to figure out well, what do we do with this? Can we turn this into a relationship or not? And he's like, I'm not into that. And she's like, uh, Maybe I am. And um, this is the most Nancy Myers movie ever. Nancy Myers. By far, it feels autobiographical. It's, uh, it's hard to say because her titles are the most interchangeable titles of just shuffle them around. They fit. Yeah. It fits on every movie. I mean, it's the holiday and it's complicated. It's complicated. Are, are the two other extremely Nancy Myers's movie <laughs> that also have amazing kitchens in them. But like they're about grownups who have had grown up experiences trying to negotiate feelings, which I like to be I fair. I love that. I love that. I love Frances McDormand basically pops her head in just for one minute to give a feminist speech about why men date younger women and how society devalues older women of like, just when we finally, we've gotten older, we're wiser. We now, know what we're doing. Now see now here. you have to throw us over. You guys suck because now you're threatened by us. Now see ah! here. Some of us have dated younger women to our detriment in many cases mm. because we're too much of a loser for women our own age. <laughs> you have a podcast not a lot of women my age care about that a lot of people <laughs> a couple of years out of college care a lot more about it so i've never dated a woman significantly younger than me i have dated a woman significantly older than me so i is. have been in the kiana reeves position and i feel like this movie did him dirty okay the whole film uh, we see him be nothing but a perfect match for Diane Keaton. He yeah. is in sync with her. They get along great. Uh, I don't think we ever see the sex, but I think we can assume it's probably good. <laughs> and then at the very end of the movie, uh, Jack Nicholson learns his lesson. He comes and meets up with her, and she's been, well, I've been dating Keanu Reeves for six months. Presumably things have been going great. And she dumps him off screen because Jack Nicholson has learned his lesson. Yeah. I did not like that. I thought I Jack agree. Nicholson could have learned his lesson and moved on. And Diana Keaton could have been with Keanu Reeves, who, again, six months is a long time to just dump someone uh, when you're presumably getting along well. You she would didn't, think. Like... <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. I, I agree. It, the dumping should have at least taken longer of just like, you know what? I need to think about this. You can't just show up and be like, I've 
I care now. And then be like, okay, I've just been waiting for you to care. (laughs) But I appreciate that she wasn't just waiting around. She was trying to make it work with Keanu. Yeah. Who is adorable in this. Yeah. And he's not like, I'm Doogie Howser doctor. He's 36 in this film. Okay. He says that it's canonical. Um, so he's not just this incredibly uh, young kid for her, but yeah. uh, and he <sighs> likes her her plays. That's the thing that attracts him at first is is actually her her work, her writing, her art. No, she makes the wrong call. I totally agree that she makes the wrong call at the end. Yeah. Now, but the getting there, I really was expecting this to be just doofier than it was because it is kind of doofy. I'll give you that. I mean, there there are some very broad bits. Like you could just hear there the scene where. Jack walks in, Diane Keaton doing full news <laughs> and screaming. What? And they can't use they can't use the best line where he's like, No, I didn't see anything except your tits. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> All right. I think Miss Keaton does a good performance in this film. Agreed? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is definitely. it Oscar worthy? Because she got nominated for an Oscar for this performance, and I'm sorry, I do not see it. It's, I do not look at this performance and go, yes. Uh, give this. Woman I fail to see how this is any different from the last thirty years of Diane Keaton roles. Is uh, there's a little is it more a emotional depth then? then? I mean, Maybe? Uh, the, those Academy people fucking love her. They love their Annie yeah. Holm. Yeah, they do. Yeah, I mean, it is one of those where you know, I kind of I, I imagine it with a different actor or a lesser actor, and it would she would just you know be annoying. I, I should say I should say I, I don't get it, but I read uh, Steve Martin's book last year, which is also a comic book, so highly recommended. And he just talks <laughs> about him and Martin Short meeting her on Father the Bride, and they both became obsessed and smitten <laughs> and followed her around like a little dog. He didn't really go into why, but it's just like she does have a sway over people of a certain age. Yep, you know who co-wrote Father the Bride? Uh, shit, no. Nancy Myers. Ah, yes. Ah, yes. With her husband at the time, who then they broke up and they have different careers, but the, it's very frustrating, just kind of like uh, Diane Keaton in the movie, where her ex-husband is still around. And not dead. And they're, and they're co-workers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was expecting, eh, it's okay. Like, that's kind of how I felt about the holiday. I liked It's Complicated a bit more because it was a little bit more complicated. This just, I thought this just kicked ass in the end. I was just like, I could talk about this for hours. I I probably shouldn't have. I had some complications this weekend, but like, I am in the market for, I like that. What was that? uh, Fuck that movie with James Gandolfini. uh, Oh, yeah. Dating, dating after 40. Like, I'm officially ready to embrace that. Like, it, 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 it appeals to me now more than romantic movies, comedies ever did. Um, because I'm living it, and yeah. it, yeah, really wish I would have yeah, given. I, I love them playing off of their old personas. They've been they were in Reds together, but not like doing a lot of scenes together. And to finally have enough said, enough said is the name of the, the other one. I always want to call it anything else, but that's a Woody Allen movie, right? Enough said it was the Gandolfini movie that was so great. It, yeah, uh, big recommend, listeners. Yeah, yeah. but so yeah, something's got to give. Um, so pleasantly surprised how how much emotional stuff they can cram into a movie while also being really fun. Like her montage of her going on a crying jag. I laughed so hard. It's just one of those things where it goes on so long, like Austin Powers peeing, that it comes back around again to being funny again. Okay. 
uh, yeah, I totally, something's got to give. I, I love it. Cool. All right, good. Yeah. TV is equally packed this week. 2003, December 8th through the 14th, uh, Justice League, Comfort and Joy. I wish the DC film universe had one-tenth the heart of the DC animated universe because mm-hmm. this is just such a perfect Christmas episode. Everyone does everything you'd want the Justice League to do. Uh, Flash is at an orphanage. Uh, Green Lantern and Hawk Girl show each other how they spend the holiday uh, together on a ice planet. Uh, Superman invites Martian Manhunter to Smallville, and <laughs> Batman is alone at the Watchtower. As it, I mean, be. there there is more emotion in this twenty-two minutes of Christmas animated filler than there is in the entire DC live-action universe. Mm. The Snyderverse. I think uh, part of superhero fatigue means, like, you ever wonder if the world being in constant peril is meaningless and maybe take a quiet moment with one of these characters (laughs) on occasion, see what they do when they're not saving the entire universe, which, by the way, is the only time we see them. Come on. Ant-Man shouldn't be solving multiverse-ending problems. What does Wonder Woman do at Christmas? Because, like, she knows the Greek gods are real. I don't know, because that second movie led us to believe she stayed in hiding from World War I to 1984 until she saw a jewelry robbery. And that compelled her out of hiding. That movie's weird. Oh, no, Hitler. I won't stop you. But this jewelry robbery, I've got to stop that. Oh, Stalin. I don't care. You You don't understand. It was it was it was in a mall. Is it a mall? Yeah, right. right. Uh, oh, Mao and your hungry ghost. I don't care. I uh, don't want to step in in Cambodia, but uh, you can't have those diamonds. Are you nuts? Uh, and then, and then uh, we also, speaking of holidays, we got Fraser Crane talking about high holidays. I love how long-lasting Fraser is because we just talked about its premiere and we're still talking about uh, its later episodes right now. But in this episode... Uh, Niles eats uh, what he thinks is a pot brownie, but it's a regular brownie. And then he spends the rest of the episode thinking he's high when he's not. I'm sure I would have laughed at that as a kid. I fucking hate that for him. Like, not, I haven't been dosed in a long time, but like not wanting to be high and waiting that like 90 minutes to two hours. So like, is this going to happen or not? Do I put on my shoes and get ready to drive somewhere? Because I would be so upset if I accidentally ate a pot brownie. I really yeah, would. This, no, no. He was thinking it was a pot brownie, okay. but it was. He, Even then, the was, weight is agonizing. Right, but his his dad eats a brownie, thinking it's a regular brownie. Now his dad is high as fuck. Yeah. And then he replaces it with a regular brownie. So Niles thinks he's high as fuck and is not. I see. Now, I've, this is a very divisive episode for fans of Frasier because they're like, this is the last season. They've gone off the rails. Crazy shit is happening. Oh. Frasier's son shows up and he's goth now. And it, everything's just gone insane. And it's like, that's when Frasier's the best. I'm sorry. No. See, I've, I've had the reverse of this happen mm. where I, I don't do pot that often. I honestly don't. But there was one time I, pot, I, took, I took an edible. And then I got distracted somehow, 
and mm-hmm. I forgot I took an Always edible. happens to me. And then I went for my run, oh, and about God. halfway through my run, I was like, holy fuck. Why is this taking so <laughs> long? Am I high right now? Why am I high? What happened? Because I had completely forgotten that I took the edible. Yeah. It, it, I used to have to like take mine like on the door frame of leaving my office, so it would sink into my body on the very long train ride, the bike ride from the train, almost feeling, and I walk over the threshold of my door, and like, right on time, there it is. I think they've advanced tech, and you can I like get an too. edible that starts kicking in after like 15 to 30 minutes oh, now. 15 would shock me, but I, I think I've, yeah. I had one that kicked in 30 minutes. Uh, yeah, and then also this week, we got to live in on reds, vitamin C, and propane on King of the Hill. All our friends can say is, ain't it a shame? <laughs> you guys aren't deadheads. You don't understand. No, no. <laughs> so this King of the Hill episode is about trucking. So they used the best title. Oh, I love it so much. Chef's kiss on the title. Um, oh, the trucking yeah. song. Got it. Trucking. Down to Buffalo. Take All right. Hank has to haul. Like his, his mom gets all this antique furniture and he's got to haul it in a big rig. And this makes him think, I'm a trucker now. And um, yeah, he goes like to the truck stops and he takes advantage of being the trucker and all the truckers hate him. Also, his buddies are mad that he went on a road trip without them and they just all snuck in the back and now they're trapped in there and it's fucking hot. (laughs) They're idiots. And it's wonderful. King of the Hill stands the test of time so well. So well. I don't think I've ever seen a King of the Hill where I was like, wow, that was dog shit. It was just like, eh, eh, that could have been better. I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I could say the same things for uh, Peanut Specials, Haha. Mm-hmm. Uh, which this week, I, I kept look, looking into reasons that make this special in terms of the Peanuts uh, holiday specials, because they've been happening at this point. What is, this is almost their, uh, what would that be, 50th anniversary uh, it is not the first peanut special released after Charles Schultz's death. It is not the first digital peanuts episode. It is not Bill Mendelson or Bill Melendez or Lee Mendelson's last episode who have been there since the beginning, since before there were specials and they were commercials. I, I find it interesting. That's what those three guys did all year. They worked on these specials. Uh, and I didn't realize CBS had canceled them and there were several unaired ones. And this is kind of its big comeback. Uh, a couple had released direct to video. This is ABC signing a new contract. We want Charlie Brown specials. And they'd only been back to the Christmas well once, technically twice, because they couldn't chop up the special anymore to put in the amount of commercials for modern day. So they had to make a 15 minute Christmas filler to stick in a modern amount of commercials on the 1964 65 special. Yes. So this is not a well Charles Schultz had gone back to very often. But he's dead. Lee Mendelson and Bill Melendez vowed, we're never going to write for Charles. So they adapt his strips. So for a couple years, you get what are clearly four panel jokes strung together in very sketch comedy. Uh, right? What fascinates me about this is that this is the first and maybe only special centered on rerun. And I don't know mm. what your relationship is with rerun. But zero relationship. Rerun is rerun. the nickname, but we do not know his real name. 
of uh, the little brother of Lucy and Linus Van Pelt. Lucy calls him a rerun because she's been through the little brother shit before and is not looking forward to it. Rerun differentiates himself here from Linus. Even though they look exactly the same, you probably read a bunch of comic strips as a kid thinking rerun was Linus. They look very similar. I'm your younger brother, and I don't suck my thumb, and I don't cling to a blanket for security. Hooray for you. As years go by... You'll probably develop a real resentment toward me. So it does what I think very deep thoughts <laughs> delivered by unprofessional children. That's what I think is super important about the peanut specials. This is all uh, uh, an arc of rerun wanting a dog. Guess who? It has a rare appearance from Olaf and Andy, not just and Spike, Snoopy's brothers. Oh, I like Spike. Spike, Spike is, is really cool. He's the only one. No, I, he's the only cousin I have on a shirt. They're huge in Japan for some reason. The only other, I like rerun. Rerun was introduced in the seventies, and then Charles Schultz got bored of him. And then when we were in the late nineties, right when he's wrapping it up, he's making more observation as a grandparent about kids who are younger than the Peanuts. So he comes back to the forefront for years. Rerun, right around the time the, the strip is ending, when I'm reading it the most, uh, rerun is all over the place. So it's all focused on him trying to find a new dog. And the only other notable thing, I, uh, Rerun, who you just heard there, is voiced by Jimmy Bennett, who I don't know from anything else other than he is the 17-year-old who sued Asia Argento for sexual assault and won a settlement. Oh. That is him. <laughs> that is, the, other than Rerun Van Pelt, the most notable thing he did. Got a wicked settlement from uh, Anthony Bourdain. So <laughs> you may have heard of him, but this is uh, also very good. I, 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 for me, someone who likes Christmas, Charlie Brown stuff, it's all been locked over to Apple TV. So you got to pay them five bucks for the, really the worst content library in all streaming. Cause they don't even have any legacy stuff. <laughs> it's all, it's all where your favorite actors have gone to never be seen. <laughs> Gary Oldman has a show, but uh, there's a bunch of new peanuts up there including a new holiday special it was really funny they they modernized it just enough i was i was very happy with that uh and i went on that out i've always got a nostalgia bug for the peanuts special yeah i think and i love the peanuts movie you know when they did that big hollywood film i thought that was great and i was thinking okay we're gonna see more peanuts but no that was it i thought it walked a perfect line of being like this is true to the source material it modernizing itself without being like in your face, the animation's a little wackier in this, which I appreciate. It's it's really cool. And uh, yeah, you check that out on Apple TV. ER this week, 20 years ago, Makimba. Yep. So Diana has this theory that the ER world is just a bunch of gods playing with doctors going, let's see how badly I can make these people's lives suck. Yeah, and- it's the torture of the doctor's comedy hour. That's what I yeah. always refer to ER as. <laughs> And uh, yeah, it's accurate. Uh, so Dr. Carter is in a Congolese medical clinic, which has zero resources. You know, uh, the Congo is one of the poorest areas on the planet. Uh, Central Africa went through a horrible phase uh, from decolonization to the early 21st century. It started to actually pull ahead over the last 20 years, uh, started to have some growth rates. But for a while, they actually had negative per capita growth rate, which is very, very rare 
in the modern era to keep getting worse year by year by year. But that was happening for a while. And it's just, yeah, torture Dr. Carter in Africa and see how he deals with it. Yep. He meets another doctor played by Thandi Way Newton and they uh, have a relationship. I think, I don't know if it's this one or because this is kind of an arc uh, working with like not doctors without borders where like he sees a kid and he can't figure out what's wrong with him and it's like oh it's polio and he's like holy shit <laughs> oh that's right there are some places that still actually have polio oh my god what i find a little extra funny we're though we're close to exterminating we're this so close. We're, so oh god, close. we're so close so so close but i think my favorite thing about st- is like this whole arc of him being in the the jungle and it's scary and there's gunmen and terrible things are happening they filmed that shit in hawaii <laughs> Stuck in some so lost cast members. they're actually having a great time. Yeah, yeah they're uh, actually having a nice time. Mm. Yeah, ER. Uh, it's in- <laughs> it's interesting to go back and just pick a random one and rewatch and just be like, oh yeah, yeah, they're being tortured again. Everything bad happens to them. I'm I'm yeah. shocked by comparison because uh, looking into the the Charlie Brown special, like wow, they really didn't revisit Christmas again very often. Like every. 30 to 10 years and like they should hold out like the Simpsons because the Simpsons felt like they didn't go back to revisit anything in the snow that wasn't Mr. Plow based until but much later on. I do want to see the alternate reality where the Simpsons went every year. We have a Halloween special. Oh, yeah. Me too. Every year. Let's have a Christmas. Well, that's special. why I was shocked. I would this love is to see that reality. The 15th season and it's their seventh Christmas-themed episode. I'm like, okay, they're catching up. <laughs> they are catching up. They avoided a Christmas episode for about four or five seasons. Uh, Tis the 15th season is the title of the episode. And I have I looked it up, watched a little. I have no knowledge of this episode. It's jerk-ass Homer being joke, jerk-ass Homer. Mm. He sells a Joe DiMaggio card, and then instead of uh, spending it on his family, he spends it on himself. And uh, Marge has this very cutting remark, which if you've been married for a while, you will totally relate to at some point in your marriage. Only care about yourself. That's not true. I cared what you thought once you found out. You can sleep on the couch tonight. Can't you yell at me now and get it over with? No. I'm going to parcel my anger out over the next few days and weeks, jabbing at you just when you seem the most content. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. Um, and then, last but definitely not leastly, Jesus Christ! How are they not arrested? It, it, this is like, ah. how, my God, South Park raisins. And the more I think how inappropriate this is, the more I laugh, and I'm, I'm glad that they did it. To be fair, I laugh my ass off. This is hilarious as fuck. So. Listeners, the whole conceit of this episode is Stan is depressed. His girlfriend has dumped him. His friends take him not to Hooters, which is the adult version, but to Raisins, which is the... How old are the South Park kids? Ten? Uh, third, fourth grade? You tell me. Mm-hmm. Third, fourth grade yeah. would be eight or nine. Yeah. Yeah. Eight, eight to ten. So it's eight to ten-year-olds at a Hooters-like restaurant called raisins Raisins. where all the girls are super friendly to the boys super nice and 
buttered up like nobody's visit gigantic hair tons of makeup and they all have names like cars like porsche and mercedes and lexus <laughs> butters butters pulls <laughs> a strip club logic and falls in love oh sweetie are you leaving well i don't want to lexus but my stupid friends want to go Oh, well, when am I going to get to see you again? When do you want to see me? As soon as possible. Oh, my God. Here, we left you a tip already, but here's another $5. Oh, you are such a sweetie. Come here, you. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the rest <laughs> of the episode is Butters thinking that the Raisin Girl actually likes him. And there's a great scene when he tries to talk to her in the parking lot and the bouncer just, like, buffs him away. Uh, <laughs> and it's also the introduction of the goth kids on South Park. Yeah! Which I love them I, goth kids. I love. I dabbled in goth, gothery, gothicness. Uh, I love. It's one of the few kid. What do you call it? Uh, kid subgroups that hasn't really gone away. Go into any school now. You're gonna find yeah. some black lipstick. I and mean, some. Wayne and Garth are obsolete. There are yeah, no yeah. metal. Heads no metal heads. Jocks year. are even not really a thing. Uh, I, it, mm, I I don't yeah, know if I agree with that. But. There's always going to be jocks, but there's always going to be the weird depressed kids yes. who want to dye their hair black or a weird color and, you know, get their feelings out by just sort yeah, of like, waving waving back and forth while staring at their shoes. The, the jocks... Dancing out our feelings. The jocks skate now. This would have been baffling like 30 years ago. <laughs> they, they skate now. Everybody plays video games and talks about it all the time. There's more things unifying kids than there aren't goth kids still around um i love them yes and then video yep. games of 20 years ago december 8th through the 14th diana your time to shine crouching tiger hidden dragon i'm sure with all the support of the filmmakers and actors um <laughs> three years later <laughs> yeah yeah i will do maybe we'll do a podcast about that someday there was some foolishness in this era where they thought it's too expensive to make a movie Let's make a triple A game. Triple <laughs> A games are exponentially more expensive than movies, especially a movie like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Foolish, foolish, I say. But it was interesting to see some of our favorite franchises continue on in a different medium. We also have Fatal Frame 2. I like pronouncing it like that. Fatal Frame 2. Uh, Crimson Butterfly out on PS2 yeah, a as well. A lot of people think that this is like the Silent Hill 2 of the Fatal Frame series, that this is the one where they just build on what came before it. Uh, and as far as I can know, as someone who has no connection to the series, you take pictures of Ghost. <laughs> does, in does Inagata DeVita play the whole time? Yes. It should. You play as Zach Baggins, Ghost Adventurer. Okay, but with that, uh, we will take you out of 2003 and close out the segment with Nick Cannon's Gigolo, but don't go anywhere. we got to talk about JR's favorite film series when we get back from this break. I'm a gigolo, spending lots of dough. You can tell the way the wide body's sitting on foes. How I'm shining with the fresh, fresh clothes. Always surrounded by so many. Hello, Mr. and Mrs. Internet and all the ships at sea. It's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watch. And for the week of December 8th through 14th, we have maybe the best Barbenheimer-type situation I've, I've ever seen, where we have a man's movie and a ladies' movie, I suppose. And yet, it's the ladies' movie, wins Best Picture at the Oscars, and is the second highest-grossing film of the year behind Return of the Jedi. 
turning 40 this week are Scarface and Terms of Endearment. What a double feature! How do I decide? So, Scarface, do I have to talk about Scarface? I feel like I don't have to. Al Pacino eats all the scenery and snorts whatever's left. We have uh, an 80s in depth where we go into it, have a pretty interesting discussion about, like, what's Michelle Pfeiffer's backstory? What's her character? Like, we get into it, like, why and why has this become such a seminal movie? It does not do well on initial release. People think it's trash. And yet all of hip-hop is based on it now. (laughs) And has been for, like, 30 years. But also, Terms of Endearment is kind of a movie for everybody with something for everyone. It is goddamn brilliant. Every time I watch it, I'm like, how did you pack so much movie into this basic tiny little story about Shirley MacLaine and her daughter and her daughter's married to kind of a dumb guy and then Shirley MacLaine uh, lives next door to an ex-astronaut played by, hey, Jack Nicholson, there he is again. (laughs) Sort of gets her groove back a little bit that way, but it's like, takes time. You know, it's it's a a grown-up film for grown-ups. But also, like, really funny for a movie that I'm sure you might have heard the reputation is, is that it's a weepy. Because it does slowly turn into to sad tragedy by the end. But so much of it is just kind of this fun relationship dramedy where, you know, uh, the daughter played by Deborah Winger ends up having an affair with John Lithgow. And that goes on for a while. And she doesn't know how to feel about it. And she's got all these kids. And it's based on Larry McMurtry book. Um, you must remember this has a great series about Polly Platt. Um, who kind of did she produce it or no way I think she did production design but she really helped shepherd a lot of stuff um, working with James L. Brooks at the time and this was a monster hit it made like a hundred million dollars in 1983 money it's insane but I don't want people to be turned off thinking that like oh it's sad it's weepy it's just going to be about like women standing around being sad all the time it's honestly it is it's like 80% comedy and just really really well done just great performances all around everything feels so lived in and believable and i think you'd be pleasantly surprised going into the holiday season you gotta watch something with the whole family terms of endearment that'll do it man that's it for this week stay classic Coming into 2013 with uh, Drunken Love by Beyonce uh, off the album of the same name, which is number 81 in Rolling Stone's 500 Best Albums of All Time. How about that? I, New releases. I can believe it. I, it's where she's she's getting much more musically complicated. Mm-hmm. It, it's, yeah. Like, I'm not a Beyonce. Uh, I, I haven't listened to every single album a thousand times, but it's like, oh, I hear the difference. I see where she's going. Compare this to, like, single 80s. Yeah, Single it's getting artsy, man. I paid attention to instantly because I think it has Frogger noises in it, and uh, <laughs> and and then my ex was obsessed with uh, Lemonade, which oh, just throwing God, that, yes. so I watched that like thirty times. Like this is fucking awesome, and I, I wish more artists had the money to make something like this. That is uh, sort of the end of my intimate familiarity with anything Beyonce's done. Um, oh, oh, gotta pay attention, man. She got a movie out. 
Okay. <laughs> you gotta watch it, or else they'll come for you. Uh, and then new, re- other new releases, and I should say new release because the internet by Childish Gambino. Uh, why release it now? He answered. He answered it in his album title. Uh, Wrecking Ball. My- Miley Cyrus is back on number one after nine weeks. Crazy. Yeah. Take that, Lord. Crazy. Yeah. Fuck off, Lord. Uh, don't isolate that and send it to my grandparents. They'll be very upset. Uh, <laughs> 2013 news, bring you back into the world of uh, 10 years ago. Mary Barra of General Motors becomes the first female CEO of any uh, of any major automotive company. How about Yay. that? Too bad it's GM, yep. the shittiest one. <laughs> <laughs> so I did look this up. Today, 52 companies out of the Fortune 500 are led by female CEO. Happy now, lady. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Leadership positions are generally generational. Mm-hmm. It's not just enough that, oh gosh, I'm really smart and I grew up in a super poor environment, so obviously I will become a Fortune 500 CEO. That happens. It's very rare. What's the CEO Usually, son going to do? What, what about you're the failed building sons upon a base that's already existed in your previous generation? So the female CEOs are probably going to be the daughters of female GMs. Oh, mm. fail daughters? I can't wait. No. One day we'll get more fail daughters. We yeah. don't have enough fail daughters. You know it'll be truly equal when we have more fail daughters. <laughs> okay. exactly. Why can't I imagine a fail daughter? I think because like most every woman I've ever worked for was more organized and knew more, way more than me about everything I did. Because uh, uh, they have to work twice as hard to get yeah. half as far. Yeah, yeah. I really did. I d- really did luck into that... Uh, CEO position at the toy company I got. I was Tom Hanks in Big. Did I not tell you that? I pull a JR moment on everyone. Uh, and then, guess what? The first uh, country to legalize the growth, sale, and use of marijuana. You are gay. You, you, Uruguay. Pronounced like Homer Simpson. Ten years later, guess the countries that at the federal level, not the local level, have completely legalized weed. Uh, no, it's not us. Uh, not even Mexico. Uh, and, uh, I don't even think Netherlands is technically just nope. not. It, it's it's illegal. It's just not prosecuted ever. On the completely legal level, only yeah. two countries, wow. Canada and you are gay, <laughs> are <laughs> the only countries in the current year where it is completely legal. But yeah, oh, Canada. And then you got like like Spain never prosecuting a a drug crime or anything like that. Maybe, but if yeah, you, if you start a where they don't. if you start a multi million dollar business, you might get in trouble. <laughs> Watch mm. out for them growth operations. Oh, speaking of other countries, movies twenty thirteen, uh, uh, Jesus, December eighth through the fourteenth. One of the most fascinating documentaries you will ever see: the act Amen. of killing comes out after years in production and yeah and half of the crew is listed as anonymous in the credits because so they they did you think sasha baron cohen and nathan fielder were good at pranking people in the form of entertainment (laughs) (laughs) yeah go ahead diane i I don't have a good right so so they had a coup in indonesia Mm -hmm. uh in 1965 which led to uh massacres a long series of massacres where they decided we are going to exterminate the communists. And by communists, I mean whoever we don't like, whoever doesn't pay us enough, any Chinese people we see, 
uh, in at least a brutal dictatorship that lasts for 30 years, and so, like a million to two million people die. Mm-hmm. Here we go, 40, almost 50 years later, um, this crew goes to Indonesia and talks to the people who carried out this genocide. That history was and, written by those winners, and those people are all local heroes at some level. Yeah, like, the, the, even when the dictatorship fell, there was still a, we don't talk about what happened. So they have them reenact murders. Show us how you used to kill people. And yeah, since they were never prosecuted, they're kind of bragging about stuff. And no, no, we want to get these uh, open wounds and killing fields 100% accurate. So they force these, I don't know what you want, monsters? And they're not necessarily like to recreate their <laughs> their crimes. Mm-hmm. So beyond a prank, this is like recreating in, in a film a level of hell for people who helped commit genocide it's yeah that's my well, favorite the, description of it like this is yeah, this is they're, what they're hell telling them like. like we're gonna reenact this we want it to be as accurate as possible we're making a movie uh, and they seem to think we're making a movie about what we did and how it was a good thing mm-hmm. because they're proud of it they are all proud of it some of them have nightmares and some they, of them don't some of them just like yeah and that's some of them did, have, have been dining out on this shit for like decades like yeah. that it's 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 incredible. There's a sequel, a pseudo sequel to this, mm. but I recommend. Th- it's a very interesting watch, and and like probably one of the. Could you imagine? You're tricking genocidal murderers into <laughs> tricking them. Oh, they're not. They're not tricking them. No, I guess not. Proud like, of what they are proud of what they did, and they want to show off. And it's like the layers of psychology psychology of what's going on is like they're talking about. You know, we used to do this kind of thing because, like, we saw it in a movie. We wanted to be cool, like a like a gangster movie. Right. And so, when they're reenacting it, there's like there's a level of them reenacting it, but also that they're acting for a camera to look even cooler than they remember being. But it's still just them, you know, in, beating up a guy and threatening him with a knife, and then and then finally strangling him to death. Mm-hmm. And it's like there's nothing cool about any of this, and they are just fine with. It. They're like, yeah, that's that's what I did. We had to. It is. Or, I mean, also, it was fun. And also, I mean, they're gangsters. It's like if the mob right. was in charge of an entire country, but also they had no code whatsoever. This shit is fucking wild, and I can't believe it exists. And I don't think if you gave me a budget and a crew, I would have endeavored to do this. But it, it, Yeah. It, it's. I, I think the one thing that frustrated me is they never go talk to someone who's like, yeah, they killed my dad. They do in the second one. Right. This one, they were put on the story by people whose families were victimized like this. And it's like, no, you should go talk to these guys who did all the killing because they don't care. They're still around. I see them in the neighborhood, man. And they're like, yeah, that's this is what I did. And you see, like, what does that do to people over time? The not talking about it, but also the like, being proud of it well the, the folklorification of it and yeah. then and then having to come face to face as an older person who's probably lived a lot longer probably had a bunch of kids and family members you care about that you see in yeah. the acts that you committed it's fucking crazy and i didn't get a chance to rewatch it so I, I should look up before the end of the episode see if it's streaming anywhere because it seems like one of those things that might have fallen through the cracks because it's like funded by Eleven thousand countries because they were like, "Shit, yeah, we should do this." In a slow rollout uh, globally, it came to America yeah. pretty late. Um, yeah, 
But yeah, the act of killing, absolutely fascinating look at a part of a, you know, living under like a dictatorial regime that you don't really think about. Like, what happens if the bad guys just stay in power and you can never, ever bring this stuff up again? Just, there is no I pitch it to you, justice. Like- Daniel Brühl and Inglorious Bastards being asked to film the movie of his courageous 300 sniped people act 25 mm. years after the fact. How would you feel about doing that? Uh, mm. Fucking crazy. It, it is nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Act of Killing. Huge recommend. Yes. Huge. Made a lot of best of the year lists. Extremely yes. hard pivot. <laughs> <laughs> but I will point out here we have we have a coast to coast winner. Kathy Najimi, Bambi. Oh, really? Kathy Najimi oh, has King been in Hill. every single segment this week. King of the Hill, Sister Act so. 2, and I was shocked to see her show up in this, and I say that like I watched it, which I didn't, um, <laughs> because I just don't care to weigh in on these movies that are in no way for me, starting so with I've this. I've enjoyed multiple Tyler Perry movies. I have. Really? <laughs> yes, really. I, I think he has made some good films. I have yet to watch a single Medea film of his. Mm. I'm worried I'll come out of it feeling like Aaron Magruder of the Boondocks because holy shit did he do a massive takedown. Uh, it, like it's just <laughs> like uh, we did a whole laser time about it with our buddy TL from Welcome to the Pool House. I'm more fascinated talking about talking to the people who do like it than learning how to like it because I'm sorry, big Medea comedies where the moral is always pray more at the end. I'm never going to be that big on <laughs> Larry the Cable Guy is in this, and that does not help at all. Uh, Lisa Lisa Welchel, Elisa Witt. No, Lisa Welchel, Elisa Witt. Chad Michael Murray, Kathy and Jamie. Uh, Tyler Perry, A Medea Christmas. On December 13th. Lacey's not coming for Christmas. We going to go down there. Your daughter is grown. Leave her alone. I'll pay you. What time you going to leave? Spend the holidays. Well, Miss Bidet, don't you worry. We can care less you're black. And I don't care that y'all are white America. Angry, angry little sex opponents. With the gift that hey, why keeps I laugh, on getting. <laughs> little baby Jesus was born to the Virgin Mary. Uh, Jay Blige. Amadea Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. They wanted Santa Claus, but he on lockdown. You know how that is. Oh, Medea. Oh, Medea. <laughs> oh, Medea. Well, I, I, now I also didn't watch this movie by reading the summary. Seems like there is an awful lot of comedy to be had about Medea thinking that Larry the Cable Guy is secretly a Klansman. <laughs> He's also playing very old 10 I, years I ago. just left at the premise. So yeah, there's something there. Realizing, oh, it's just a misunderstanding. But also there's something about, like, they want to turn the Christmas pageant into a holiday pageant. We can't stand for that. And I'm like, boo, hiss. Pluralization, goddammit. We have people who don't celebrate Christmas, you jerks. It's it's just one of those movies. It's why I miss It's Me Sarah a lot sometimes. Like, I don't want to shit all over a movie that's not, I know isn't for me from the font on the poster doesn't matter what I think about this. It found its audience. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, so I just never feel the need to like weigh in with my opinion on these things. I don't particularly care whether they're good or not. Enjoy them if you enjoy them. Uh, yep. the, the other, the next the movie, which is now born at the box office, is right, way more my wheelhouse. Stretch my arms. You go for get it. Get my uh, jaw up, left, right, down, up. Get ready to yammer and yammer and yammer on let this. Me, let me vent first off and then I'll just I'll just unwind you, throw you out like a top. Uh, Luke Evans, Lee Pace, Evangeline Lilly, Orlando Bloom, Benedict Cumberbatch, Richard Armitage, Ian McKellen, Martin Freeman. Again. 
Number one in the box office, it's The Hobbit, The Desolation of Smaug. The noble quest is at hand. To reclaim a homeland and slay a dragon. We've been blind. In our blindness, our enemy is preparing for war. If you awaken that beast, you'll destroy us all. You can't give up now! The Desolation Woo. of Smog. Advanced tickets on sale. Woo. Okay, so we went into a lot of detail, I think, of the trilogy in the, the last time we talked about it. It was a year ago. I would encourage you to go listen to that because I don't... I, I, I know we'll repeat ourselves, but I'm trying not to repeat myself, especially when some of this is being a little critical on the negative side of this. But if I didn't have any more reason to not like this film, let me tell you about my weekend. In addition to dying relatives, poured rain all all weekend, lost internet, uh, the holiday parade was rained out and canceled. So one of the things I did with no internet is I decided to take down some of my ornaments and Christmas toys and I filmed backwards in slow motion and sped up uh, all the ornaments on my turntable so I could make my own parade with my holiday stuff for my girl and her kids. This sounds like something a perfectly sane person would do, Chris. Uh, look, I added in some booze. It all seemed really fun. I put in the Electric Light Parade song. I could send it to you. It exists. <laughs> this video exists. That's the one thing I did finish editing this weekend. Uh, <laughs> it's on my phone. Uh, internet comes back on. I'm like, I'm drinking. Let's start the fucking Hobbit movies. And, uh, man, I, I haven't had to subsist, like, literally on DVDs in a long time, but I'm in a Christmassy mood. But, uh, okay, uh, 5.1, ooh, okay, 4K, this HBO Max, or Max version. Right away, just subwoofer, everything falls off my entertainment center and shelf onto the <laughs> ornaments I've just filmed the parade on. And I stand up, and I'm like, what the fuck? Lightning crashes. It's after midnight. The power goes out. And I'm sitting in a room full of trash. <laughs> and even though it's not the Hobbit Desolations of Smog's fault, I went to bed angry. I woke <laughs> up angry. <I've, laughs> I was angry for like 24 hours because of the damage that got caused that night by my Christmas enthusiasm and rolling blackouts. Uh, so that's where I was at with The Hobbit. Even though I checked before the show, this is Rotten Tomatoes' highest ranking uh, version of The Hobbit Trilogy. I do not agree with that. It is not. I think I do. I think it's, a, I didn't dislike it as much as I did the previous film. Okay. Okay. Yeah. My counter argument to that sure. is this has the worst ending mm. for any middle film in any trilogy in the history of trilogies. There is no ending here. This is no. not a film it just stops i mean yeah think of any other trilogy the middle part is hard i get that it is but it's like they ran out of footage yeah. and they just stopped and started how do we turn the last the 20 pages of this book into a three-hour movie unless we cut it off right here <laughs> yeah, yeah it's a cliffhanger it ends on a cliffhanger and but nothing is resolved nothing no. happens nothing yeah. There is no growth. There is no character development. Okay, there are 12 dwarves <laughs> in this film. Mm -hmm. Tell me 
as many names as you can, or I will accept I will accept describing a characteristic instead of a name. There's the old mm-hmm. one. There's the one I love Brett describing in a podcast. I'm like, that one's just a man. He doesn't even have any makeup on. Right. The handsome um, There's the one whose hat's kind of like bunny ears who was on cold feet. Is it Gimli uh, or Jimli? He's related to Gimli. I don't know. There's the one with the eyebrows. You know that one. Very distinctive. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, Jay. I, I know. I know. Main characters, people. This, this is The Hobbit. It is the story of Bilbo Baggins' journey with the dwarfs. The dwarfs are in this film, and they make no impression. They are just nothing characters. With three hours you of screen not... time. Okay, okay. The hot... The Lord of the Rings trilogy extended cut is 12 hours. The Hobbit trilogy extended cut is 12 hours. In the Lord of the Rings trilogy, we'll talk about it next week, I will argue there are nine major characters, all of which have characteristics, all of which they don't necessarily go through major character arcs, but they have something that happens to them. They have personalities. They have a recognizable uh, character to them. The 12 dwarves in this trilogy, which is the same length as Lord of the Rings, make no impression. It, like, at all. It's weird. Because even in the book and the Rankin-Bass movie, the hop, the dwarves are sort of there to make Bilbo feel out of his element, and that's fine. Yeah. Okay, they're, you they're, they're, they're like one character. Route if you wanted to make the Hobbit into one film, which you totally should. Okay, listeners and Lord of the Rings, okay. all, all those characters other than the Hobbits are like a different species. Okay, I don't want to pr- repeat myself from last year, right. but the Hobbit should not have been a trilogy. No. The Hobbit is not. A prequel to Lord of the Rings. The Lord of the Rings is a sequel, sequel to, the to The Hobbit. Uh, trying to reverse engineer it like that was a huge mistake. Can you, can you trying imagine, to make it in- imagine making the first Fast and the Furious movie a prequel to what the most movies became? <laughs> Where yes, heisting the That's DVD exactly players. <laughs> the heist to steal DVD players has to be this epic thing about people who go to outer space bro it's a okay. pan, it's a panasonic oh <laughs> uh, yes wow a panasonic <laughs> just like in the fourth movie <laughs> as has been foretold in legends of old yeah that and that uh, that's what i said the biggest fault of that first hobbit movie was treating this whole story with the gravitas of lord of the rings which is a world-ending event this hobbit is like we should get back our money. <laughs> we, we, we the the Hobbit is a children's tale. Mm-hmm. It is yeah. literally a story J.R.R. Tolkien was telling to his son. His son said, hey, dad, you said the door was red, but now you're telling it's green. So J.R.R. Tolkien went, God damn it, son. Okay, I'm going to write this sucker down so you won't correct me on the color of the door. Yeah. That is the origin of all of modern fantasy, but it was a children's <laughs> story. And trying to make it into this epic yarn was a mistake. They should have given it uh, to uh, a director who could have just had it be its own thing instead of it being this milk toast lord of the rings ripoff and i will say that this is a worse movie than one i will say that 
Okay. Two is worse than one, and three is worse than two. The Lord of the Rings movies, as we'll talk about next week, get better movie by movie. Every movie in the yes. Lord of the Rings trilogy is an improvement. Every film in the Hobbit trilogy is a degradation. Now, I I will disagree slightly on that. I think two is marginally the best one. I, I do like this one more, even though... The parties are split up, kind of everyone's sort of off doing different pieces of adventure. We get a lot more lore, which some people really like. I'm not a big lore fan, but at least I see I see what you're doing there. Mm-hmm. But they do have like a couple characters that come in we don't need, like the guy who turns into a bear. That's that's just a plot <laughs> cul-de-sac. You're just throwing that in for fun. I watched it again and I forgot he was in the movie. Right, I forgot he's in the movie. But then we do have like a, a pretty clear here is where we're going and here is what it's like there. And here is our goal when we get there. It's like, okay, but we got every some step of that. of that journey is a mistake. Every step <laughs> of that, they are making the wrong decision. Okay. At the climax of the film, uh, where they're looking for the door. Okay. Uh, the head dwarf is all like, well, we've came all this way, but after five minutes of trying, we can't open the door. I'm going to give up. So I'm going to walk away. And then Bilbo stays around and he goes, oh, gosh, how am I ever going to solve this? Wait a minute. The last light is from the moon. And then the head dwarf comes back for no reason. Constantly. <laughs> the the solution to every single problem in this film is, hey, remember that character you thought went away? They're back and they're going to save your ass. That is the solution to like five points in this film. Well, that that is the problem with the uh, with Tolkien in general and mm-hmm. Jer- and the Hobbit in particular is Deus Ex Machina's constantly like every like oh good the eagles are here like that happens because because he's telling an episodic story that he hasn't plotted out all the way because he's telling it to children. And, and, but but all right, I'll tell you. I want to talk about things that I like. Okay, okay. me too. I I like the the setting of the lake town. That's there exactly is, um, what I was going to say. A new biome. A new biome. Yeah, a, a new kind of place. A new level. It's into... so great to see the incredibly one-dimensional Lake Town ruler who was like uh, Snidely yeah. McWickblash, who had no character other than I'm evil, and every second he's on stage, he's how evil am I? And it's like a three-year-old's version at, of politics. At, and yeah. we needed to see that for, what, 30 minutes, 45 at minutes? At least it wasn't yeah, any more movie. At least it w- wasn't another like, hour in Bilbo's house. Yeah, I don't need time in Bilbo's house. Um, I could I could do without the barrels, <laughs> but I understand why they're there. It's a nice it's nice to have an action beat. I just feel like it goes on for a while. Oh, also, yes. they sent out promotional like little bottoms of barrels for this, and I have one in my backyard holding my my uh, garden hose to this day. So thanks, <laughs> okay. thanks Desolation of Smog. I have my hose organized now. Here's here's another thing I will say that is good. Like an unexpected journey, the best scene is a two-hander scene between Martin Freeman and a digital thing. Yes, Smog himself is awesome. Okay, the stuff with Smog, fucking is cool. I get it. I see what you're doing here. Boy, did it take too long. (laughs) Diana, did you look at my notes? That's the only two things I had (laughs) to. I will grant you, Smog is the best depiction of a dragon in film before or since i am the last one what are you talking is, about Jar? i mean if we're gonna yeah if we're talking talking dragons yeah, yeah talking yeah. dragons talking dragons what about uh, yeah what about and falcor the, the, the luck the, dragon he's yeah, more of a like terrier 
he's yeah, he's more of a big puppy. But, like, okay, he's he is a character. He is visually very interesting. The place he's in is interesting. With like every time he moves, the, all the coins go crazy, and like they have an interesting conversation. Um, yes, the best thing about this movie is the behind-the-scenes footage of Benedict Cumberbatch doing mocap. <laughs> I'm a sexy cat. By, I'm a sexy cat. By far. <laughs> I love his commitment. That is a fucking professional, that. But, yeah, like, all of the Hobbit movies, like, okay, this could be half the length, and you could have uh, made me care just as much, if not more. Also, okay. also, I have to do mention one more thing. I watched this at 48 frames. Whoa, How? How? When it was in theaters. Oh, when it was okay. in theaters. Sorry, I, thought you I saw this in 3D at 48 frames per second. I'm like, oh, let me give it a try. I, I always like people experimenting with new technology. Sure. Totally did not work for me. Really? It made people move sort of herky-jerky, like old-timey newsreel footage. Huh. It's like my eyes couldn't keep up, so people would just sort of be over here now. This is my, <laughs> my, my most damning criticism about, about all 3D is I forget in five minutes. I just mm. don't notice it anymore. So you never yeah. stop noticing it um, in 40, 48 frames. Yeah, but I, I gave it a try. I was like, okay. I mean, no, I wish keep I had. Doing this. And yeah, it just, it, no, it, it didn't. Here's, here's another thing I have to admit. I don't think I've completed the third film in the series. Mm. And, and wow. I remember being frustrated, like, go to this elven town and like, really, Legolas has got to be an asshole? Like, why bring the guy back to be in a movie where he plays a different foil and because they don't care about this film except as how it relates to lord of the rings legolas could technically have been in there is he in the hobbit no because J.R.R. tolkien hadn't thought hadn't of him but we've all seen the lord of the rings movies so they shoehorn every reference they can to no good effect because they don't have the courage to make this be its own I, I, I was saying that because I know part of the fun of The Hobbit and the goodness of it is the end of the story where like all these you know arguing tribes are unified in a singular goal and that changes their relationship when we do see them in Lord of the Rings so I, I'm saying that's my bad but there, there is definitely one of those criticisms that I can't really define accurately that this feels way less like art and more like content um uh, mm. more like fan service and like checking boxes and and a part of that is not not cynical i don't i want to say on peter jackson's end because i know he loves this stuff but if you didn't hear our previous show lawsuits bankruptcy this shit was tied up forever gilmer del toro was supposed to make two peter jackson basically has to come in as an executive producer and save his own movie as a director and you can tell, you know, his heart isn't in it because he didn't fight to keep it two movies. The money people got to him and like, let's turn it into three. You'll make more money too. Okay. Listeners, I do not encourage piracy for real. I don't. I do. It's okay, JR. I, <laughs> I, I balance do. us out. I, All the time. Yep. This is a disagreement I have with the other okay. hosts. It's fine. <laughs> but I own the Hobbit trilogy. And as such, Me too. I feel morally okay getting the fan edits mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. listeners i realize this is not legally sound so legally i'm not encouraging you to do this if you feel that this film could have been a perfectly amazing one film you can find so many 
fan edits out there that are superior to the trilogy. You can. Google it. Uh, there's numerous ones. They condense it into either one or two movies. I've seen multiple versions of them. Every fan edit I've watched, and I've watched three different fan edits, has been superior <laughs> to this mm. as a trilogy. Mm. As such, in the future, uh, after 30 2010, when I do my inevitable Lord of the Rings marathon, I'm setting aside a day, I am going to watch the fan edit and then the extended versions of all three films. I'll make a huge event of it and just like that'll be my day and it'll be epic and glorious and I wish the studio would make a professional cut where it's just like, yeah, we did bloat these suckers up. Here's it as one film and it is great. This is a fantastic film, singular, edited mm. down to one film, 100%. Yeah, I I am very sad that Guillermo del Toro couldn't take the crack at these. I don't know what the hell happened because he's still was, credited on the screenplay. It and was MGM's he, bankruptcy. Like he he was yeah. he wanted to do it, but he just moved on to another project because the studio yeah. was barely existing. Because I I feel like his his love of sort of fairy tales would work very well with a lighter tone and not the yeah. giant thick tone that Peter Jackson wants to and bring. I, I think it, it would have been well, much more interesting that. to see even those older characters pop up in like the difference between Prisoner of Azkaban and Sorcerer's Stone, like just a slightly different look, letting us know this is a different time and place, not the exact same mm -hmm. time and place where everybody's mm -hmm. the exact same age. Um, and that was the studio's decision. That was mm -hmm. the studio going, Lord of the Rings was a hit. We have to Lord of the Rings up the Hobbit. And uh, it was a mistake. It was a huge, giant mistake. Again, I'm going to say that I am glad these films exist because these films are why we have Hobbiton in New Zealand. If you can ever visit Hobbiton in New Zealand, it is a magical, wonderful place to visit. They rebuilt all the sets uh, from Lord of the Rings of Hobbiton for this film on a permanent basis so that people could do the tourism thing. And it is a incredible experience that would not exist without the hobbit films so the only good thing that came out of the hobbit trilogy was the <laughs> fan edit and the tourist attraction in new zealand and that's, that's uh, it i see people and 960 million dollars that a... worked out pretty well for the studio yeah. i mean this not... is insanely expensive all of this these movies probably yeah, make about a billion yeah. dollars this movie i yeah. think makes mildly less than both than all three of them just yes, mildly yeah. the mm -hmm. hobbit trilogy is the most forgotten three billion dollar trilogy <laughs> in all of cinema history yeah do not see this yeah. referenced except wow. for the i'm going on the adventure that i see referenced mm -hmm. other than that i don't hear i hear so much love for lord of the rings granted i'm in that community i do love the original lord of the rings trilogy so i'm obviously going to hang around people who like it and i see it referenced all the time and i see a great memes about it the hobbit fit yeah, yeah. And, and and that's true when it comes to cultural impact zero and part, zero. part of yeah. uh, i think part of some of this is the it wasn't as peter jackson ju jumping on this not last minute but like he i know we mentioned this last time but he had like a decade to plan the first three lord of the rings movies mm -hmm. the lord of the rings movies they are meticulously thought about and shot and and like 
miniatures that are meant to match up with sets. This in too many parts, like these are just green screens. That is just a CG Orlando Bloom. Like you, yep. like the same way Marvel doesn't even bother to design suits anymore because they know they can do that up to the last minute but just by putting the ping pong balls on Robert Downey Jr. There wasn't as much thought put into this, as much care, as much uh, precision as he did with uh, how long he had to ruminate with the Lord of the Rings trilogy. It, it had to come together comparatively very fast. And I, I, don't think it, I don't think his heart was in it, and I think it shows. Oh, well... Boy, I sure hope we don't have to talk about more Tolkien uh, in the I next said, couple like, uh, weeks or nothing. I'm I'll, sure. I'll recommend sure it. Since we got to talk about the good Tolkien in a few weeks. <laughs> is it? I think it's next week. <laughs> so I watched yeah. them it both. is. Uh, it is next week. Uh, the the recommended fan edit is the book edit. Am I? I mean, there's multiple recommended fan edits. Uh, the Tolkien edit is good. I have watched the Tolkien edit, mm-hmm. but there are certainly other edits out there uh, that I would recommend. It's it's as well. It's a rough area to navigate because some are like great edit. Why is this in 720p? <laughs> not not everybody who's good at editing is going to be good at remixing 5.1 Dolby sound. So all right, this is a mostly complete list the tolkien edit the bilbil edition J.R. tolkien's the hobbit the hobbit the two-hour fan edit the ironfoot edition the spence edit there and back again a hobbit's cut there and back again by david kilstein that's an incomplete list i want to ask our listeners what film trilogy has so much goodness weighed down by so much crap bloat that cutting the bloat makes so many fan edits possible. I, I've been dying to see, and there's just one guy that, that made this famous, Topher Grace has apparently like mm-hmm. taken the knife to all the pre- Star Wars prequels and hasn't released them online. We'll screen them for free at live venues occasionally in LA, and they're like lauded. They're, but it's just hard to talk about them because it, it, seeing them puts you in very rarefied air. It's going to be impossible for yeah. almost everyone listening. But I would love. To, you're right. I, I don't know. I don't know where that. It, what is the best? Ed, other maybe maybe Blade Runner. At least I know how Jr. <laughs> and I feel a about professional Blade. edit. It That's was a little different. It was a professional edit overseen by the director. So yeah, but like, but a film that that can be so noticeably improved by a different edit. Mm. I'm not sure that there is one. Yeah, I don't. Know. But uh, it's fascinating because, like, uh, you know, editors are never going to, are always going to be in hot demand. And you can learn a lot from that by learning what's wrong with the Hobbits. So, fan edits. I can't wait to check one out. I just want to get through the whole trilogy and then be like, how can I revisit this in two and a half hours and not eight? (laughs) Eight hours. What the fuck, man? All right. So, next year, Chris, maybe watch the fan edit instead of uh, the final film. I, I, I still find it. Th- that's the one I, I have not completed, though. Uh, yeah. We'll see. We'll see. And, but here's the thing, JR. Like, I don't know. Uh, w- w- this year, finally, it came into, like, at least, pub- if not public knowledge, public conversation, who owns the rights to this stuff? And Warner Brothers, owners of New Line, made it a point to lock down Hobbit, Lord of the Rings. That's ours. All that shit that was on Amazon, Embracer, 
owns. That's why they can make a Gollum game and uh, go way in the past and way in the future. They're going to remake these. Yeah. And, yeah. and, yeah. and if, if I get my wish, they're going to remake it as an incredibly high budget episodic Amazon series television <laughs> series because I don't think you can make better movies than what we've already got mm-hmm. but give me 10 hours for each book sure I could yeah. get in that world because I, I, we were talking off mic how often we would watch the extended versions of the Lord mm-hmm. of the Rings trilogy it wasn't a chore it was awesome especially if you've read yeah. the books like oh cool new shit I'm so <laughs> glad they explained where those flowers came from <laughs> hell yeah <laughs> Oh, uh, speaking of explaining things, you know, I just w- love the Lord of the Rings trilogy of movies. But the whole time I was going, gosh, how did that sword get its name? I, I can't enjoy this movie unless they explain in great detail how Sting got the name Sting. And thank God the Hobbit movie explained that to me because that- <laughs> somewhere in a theater, George R. R. Martin is going, finally, uh, he gets it. He's a big fan. This, the sword was it. a big fan of the police. What can you say? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. The Hobbit. Okay. Or, uh, Final smog. Barrel writing scene. Most video game shit yeah. I've ever seen in any movie. Most in- in- incongruous between like, is that real people at all? Like, no, it, it, yeah, it's just like I I have no investment in this because obviously you're not physical objects at all. Mm. You're not even humans. You're not even dwarves. You're just non-physical corporeal beings playing a video game right now. Difficult, man. Difficult. And with that, I'm guessing Desolation Smog is a not. It's a not recommend. But it's in term, not a recommend. In terms not of the Hobbit right. trilogy, if, I'd recommend look, it. <laughs> if, if you're into, the, if you are into this sort of thing, you've already seen it. So, I recommend know. the fan edits. Look okay. one up. Uh, look up the options. There's a couple. Decide which fan edit is what you want. Did you do one recently, by any chance? The last fan edit I did was last year. Okay. I did uh, watch that with my son after we did the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to show him the Hobbit movies, so I showed him a fan edit. Okay. Uh, you remember what I did? I think there was like 20 minutes left in uh, the first Hobbit movie. I'm like, I'm putting on the Rankin Bass one. This, I feel like this <laughs> will get to the end quicker. <laughs> and, and I went out and had... Met hot guys and did cool people stuff. <laughs> Nerds. <laughs> uh, I know she didn't. Um, I did. She did. <laughs> I watched more RuPaul's Drag Race. You're right. Well, you're about to have another fan in that in, in the group, Diana, because um, that is like that is like my girl's sports. Dude, um, it's the best show on at, on mean, TV. Do they have parties? It is, it is like extreme sports. It is. I, I can't even. I can't. I, I, I don't want to to tell you how much Trixie and Kata, how much of that I have watched lately. Ah, uh, um, Trixie and Katya rule. Yes, uh, and then anyway. Speaking of moving on to television, twenty thirteen, no Drag Race here, sadly. We do have Holidays, which I believe is based on my favorite breakfast sauce, starring nine hundred two one zero's Jeannie Garth. No Holidays, a woman wakes up in an alternate reality where she never left her small town. Why are you overcomplicating a Hallmark movie? <laughs> that's what everyone how many is. small towns can have widower dads in them yes i'm your childhood crush but now i have a beard mm. <laughs> a very thin one but a beard nonetheless yeah. uh 
SNL this week. I couldn't find this I, uh, when I looked on YouTube. Uh, John Goodman hosts with uh, Robert De Niro and Sylvester Stallone appearing in the Three Wise Guys sketch. <laughs> Why can't I see that? Because SNL is very restrictive on its clips. Like, good luck uploading anything to YouTube that yeah, they don't the, want you they're to. They're usually on the ball with that kind of stuff. and um... uh, To a certain extent. I would say... 5% of SNL clips are on YouTube. And I, I just want to, despite, well, if you're talking about like from the 1970s to 1990. Yeah, I'd say 5%. But like almost everything from like 96 on is, is on there in its entirety, except for the musical guests, especially mm-hmm. the last, anyway. Uh, but I, I did find it interesting that John Goodman, between 1989 and 2001, Guess how many years he did not. I know because post. it's it was his answer in the 40th anniversary Q and A. Thirteen. That's a Goodman's dozen. It's yeah. <laughs> thirteen times, and then uh, I'm yeah, surprised. I, mean, I think of since. Goodman as a big guy, but I don't think of him like hosting SNL every single year. He big. Was so, but he was like, he was a rising movie star. At like, I looked this week. Roseanne is the fourth highest rated show in television. Uh, in 1993. Mm. So it's still like that. I didn't realize that show was that big of a powerhouse. It's almost never number one, but it's always in the top five. Home Improvement yeah. is killing everything. But Roseanne is still pretty big. I want to see this just because like, uh, I could be wrong in this statistic. I'm going mm. to look it up later. I don't think Robert De Niro has ever hosted SNL. I think he's I made so many know. guest appearances. You think that he has. Mm. Because he's, he's a, has a lot of guest appearances. Because I, I think that's a, one of the cool things I'll write about Robert De Niro when he dies. Didn't want to commit to a whole show, but he'll come on three times a year nowadays. We got plenty of time. Uh, Misfits is out or ends on 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 British TV. That was something a couple of my friends tried to get me into. Real hardcore. Felt like kind of a grind because a very very slow burn. A superhero origin story set in a juvenile correction correctional uh, thing huh. in, in in England. Meaning no one was abused and kept out of society for life. Why? <laughs> <laughs> These guys are going to be fine. It's a much, so much less recidivism. Um, getting yes, into British <laughs> British schools are really well known for their quality treatment of small children. <laughs> oh right. Well, now it's like a modern show. Um, Twenty thirteen games, December eighth uh, through the fourteenth. I don't think so. One game title has been so warped by something modern. Then Peggle, poor Peggle. <laughs> what? It's a game about magical bouncing balls, magical bricks, and magical pegging. No. <laughs> Brought to you by a, a dudical beaver. Let's let's also mention that pegging with the dudical beaver. Uh, Peggle two. I'm not sure if it has another numbered sequel. I think this might have been as far as it went. Something about the pop cap acquisition by EA. Two is as high as any of those games ever got. Uh, Plants vs. Zombies, um, Bejeweled. Uh, Doki Doki Universe is out for the PlayStation environment. By that, I mean Vita, PSN, and PS4. Uh, that is Super Mario 2, the universe. I don't know what Doki Doki... Adventure? Mm. Fun, fun adventure. Uh, another en- great entry. Um, th- here, these two games are interesting ports. Enhanced for their respective portable platforms. 3D Echo the Dolphin. I loved Sega's 3D games. I think this is the last 
echo the dolphin anything. Mm. I don't think there's been a single thing since this port, which yeah, is I just don't think they have cracked open the game to do anything. So there might have been a soundtrack here and there, or some kind of merch. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't count. But uh, yeah, I, I would I would wager I would I'd take that bet. Uh, not the same with this game, Grand Theft Auto San Andreas Mobile for iOS. Mm. Ten years uh. from the announcement of the trailer. <laughs> This was just like such a kick to me of like, holy crud, that game that I was just like, I bought a PS2 for this game and was like amazed at how big and huge it was. And now it can be on my phone. Your phone. <laughs> and it can also be remastered in AI and then called the definitive edition and put out on everything else. This, this, whatever version this game is, is I guarantee it's nuked. You can't play it. Deal with the definitive versions. I believe they're fixed. We will talk really? more. Mm. Uh, they 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 said all the things that people were pointing out. They went and addressed like one by one because okay. that's what happens when you have a human do things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, that uh, I think this week on VGA we're going to have to talk about the new Grand Theft Auto Six reveal, the pretty momentous occasion. Uh, within the first three hours, the Grand Theft Auto trailer had more views than the lifetime views of the trailer for Robert Downey Jr.'s Doolittle. Like, <laughs> I'm, that's impressive. That's impressive. Is it, though? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I watch every RDJ trailer, like, at least four times. And then, uh, yeah, Video Game Apocalypse this week. We're talking about the best. It's We're getting to our best of the year stuff, and we're talking about the best remasters. Michael doesn't feel it's fair to put remasters, even if they're, like, ground-up remasters, into the best games of the year categories in a lot of ways because mm, I think I'd I think I'd put them there I think he makes an exception for some things but like Metroid Prime Remastered isn't a ground up remake it is just oh you dealt, dealt with some control options and up res stuff you didn't remove anything around uh, re, re-render anything redesign because I thought that was like one of the best remasters I've seen in a I long think, time I, I could be totally fucking wrong on this because as I'll say on that show I, I want a new experience before I want an old experience, and my gaming budget is as tight as my time, and I'm not going to go revisit something for 30 hours that I've played twice over a new experience. And and they all sound really good, but I just I didn't do it with any of them this year. Just didn't didn't have the time. Didn't want to put the time or money into it. But we'll talk about that more on the show. And uh, once again, Patreon.com/slash Laser Time is how you can support us. Uh, Maybe someday JR and I will watch different fan edits and talk about which one's the Ooh. best. Mm. Assign ourselves different ones. Then how would we know what we're talking about? Uh, I don't know how to do that, but it, it is something I've never wanted. At the very least, I forget what you said. I've never wanted to watch a fan edit more than this, and, and it's accessible. So uh, I'd love to hear what people have to say about that. So anybody who's done that, to hit us up in the Facebook group or on the Blue Ski D. Yeah, yeah, they can follow me on the Blue Sky at Listeninerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D. And coming up next week, well, we've said it a hundred times already, but we are returning of the king next week. No. But that's not all. We also have a whole bunch of Julia Roberts, including a movie with Julia Roberts and Denzel Washington in it. How could it not be a giant hit this beloved (laughs) of all time? Uh... We... It's up there. Also, 
we also have uh, Christian Bale and Amy Adams as con artists with magnificent hair. Tom Hanks is Walt Disney. And Ron Burgundy rides again. (sighs) And if that wasn't enough, a performance on MTV's Unplugged will influence music for the rest of the decade. Yeah. You ever had a guy play a guitar at you? Here it comes. <laughs> uh, I actually Brenda. did. I was going to say, I actually did live in a dorm where I heard someone trying to play the opening riff of Man Who Sold the World over and over, and this is why. Yeah, this is why. <laughs> Not Bowie, this. And Brenda's going to leave the 90210 zip code. No. 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 Cousin Eddie is going to get his own movie. Uh, no. That will never be a mistake. Never. It's Christmas in Canada, and it's time to cut the rope again. (laughs) What a tease. But Christmas in Canada, impossible. Don't believe it. They don't do that. (laughs) They don't do that at all. Mm, Um, No. I don't want to hear about it. No. No. No, They like wicker men and shit. (laughs) (laughs) All that midsummer nonsense, old people pushing my pelvis around. Don't care for it. Give me American yeah. Christmas. Uh, Patreon.com slash Later Time is where you can support us. Die who died. Uh, 1993, we lost Myrna Loy, who is 88. She it was Nora Charles in all the Thin Man movies, also in Best Years of Our Lives, the original Cheaper by the Dozen. Uh, she was fucking cool. I really liked her. Mm. In 2003, sadly, that's when we lost Keiko the Killer Whale star Free Willy, who's 27. He was released back into the waters where he was originally captured off of Iceland. He never made more orca friends and he died of pneumonia about a year after he was released. Tragic man. You can't take an animal like that and reintroduce it in the wild very easily. It's not impossible, but it's like just as much work as taming it to untame it. Yeah. They, they tried a long time to try to get it reacclimated and try it, but no, they're no, you just, you just can't. And then in 2013, Damn it, we lost one of my favorite actors ever, Peter O'Toole. He's got a he's got a double phallic name. <laughs> and that's a Groucho joke I stole. Yeah. But uh, fuck Lawrence of Arabia, The Lion in Winter, my favorite year, the ruling class, uh, Beckett, goodbye, Mr. Chips. Is that him in Ratatouille? Ratatouille, goddammit. Ah, right. yeah. Ratatouille, right at the end, introducing him to a new generation. He's so good in it. Yes. So good. Letting me constantly know what we do here doesn't hold a fucking fraction of a candle next to someone who actually makes something. Thanks, Peter O'Toole. Uh, so I please please go watch The Lion in Winter. It's my favorite Christmas movie. <laughs> <laughs> because it's eleven eighty three and they all have swords and they're gonna try to stab each other. Because that's what families do, right? That's what Christmas is. Anyone? Yeah. No? I oh. think you need a Hallmark movie on the lessons of Christmas, Diana. <laughs> Where will I find one? <laughs> But with the deaths come the birthday quizzes. Birthday quizzes. Quizzes? Plural? Birthday quiz singular. Turning 70, which means that every last actress who was part of my sexual awakening is now a member of the AARP. And, and and guess what? Not going to make you wear a bag, JR. It gets even better. Mm. Condomless, sweetie. Yep. 
<laughs> Born in Athens, Georgia, on December 8th, 1953. Her mother was an actress and swimmer who appeared in several Esther Williams films. Oh. Wow, neat. Her father was a big band musician as well as a soldier who stormed Normandy Beach on D-Day. Glenda Miller. (laughs) The middle of five children. She was raised a Methodist and described herself as extremely shy. And she said she would used to faint if asked to speak in class. So she should be an actor or something. Great idea. Yes. Diana, were women oh faking God. all that fainting? Because I never see women faint anymore. I mean, back when there were corsets, they were doing it all the time. You okay. can't breathe. Yeah. No, that's totally oh. that, that's totally real. Yeah. And that, back then, I mean, the 50s and 60s, you probably still had girdles, which is, yeah, similar. So. You know how many things I don't want to talk about that like I could just faint? Accountant. Oh. oh. Start fanning myself. Oh, not today. <laughs> She began her modeling career and was very successful, but switched to acting in 1976. She had a role in a remake of From Here to Eternity. Oh, no. She was a sex symbol of the 1980s. Bo Derrick. No. Damn it. She rose to fame in a Bond movie. Oh, is it someone we talked about this week? It is. Yay! As well as The Natural, Nine and a Half Weeks, Ah. L.A. Confidential, and Uh, Tim Burton's Batman. How are you, my darling? (laughs) (laughs) Yay, Kim Basinger. Basinger. Correct. She went on to go in L.A. Confidential, no Mercy, Blind Date, My Stepmother is an Alien, Cool World, The Real McCoy, I Dreamed of Africa, Eight Mile, The Door in the Floor, Cellular, The Sentinel, The Burning Plane, Grudge Mat, Fifty Shades Darker. And oh. uh, Baby JR had a poster <laughs> wow. of uh, Kim's uh, decollage oh. from the <laughs> Batman film yeah. as Vicky Vale in my room. And I felt such a big boy for putting that poster up that when I had a friend over, I was like, I'm just going to stare at this poster. And it was weird. (laughs) (laughs) Weird, it means awesome. Happy birthday, Miss Bazinger. Um, She was so funny in Wayne's World, too, though. Yeah. Hilarious. I wish she had done more comedy. She should have. Yeah. Still time. God damn it. Look look what her ex-husband is doing. Yeah, Almost no, she's still around. I mean, she's basically retired, but she still looks pretty damn good. Yeah, honestly. she does. So, but she doesn't have to work, so why should you? Well, that about wraps it up. Diana got that one. Can't deny it. I may, I may in the future. Who knows? If it's okay for the foreign president to do it, maybe I can too. Clearly mm. lost. Uh, <laughs> well, going to uh, demand a recount now. Going to send our thugs to bother me. And yes, I'm going to round up all the communists, whoever that is, bro. Name one communist giving you a hard time. Do you mean me? <laughs> what are you talking? <laughs> anyway, moving on 
to the end of the show. Patreon.com slash Laser Time. Give us five bucks. We'll give you a bunch of extra shows. More stuff coming every week or so. And uh, Childish Gambino is going to take us out with 3,005. Um, thank you very much, um, Troy. <laughs> I appreciate that a lot. I won't uh, call you that if I ever see you in person. Uh, we'll see you next week. Okay, hold up, wait a minute, all good, just a week ago Crew at my house, and we party every weekend So, on the radio, that's my favorite song Make me bounce around like I don't know, like I won't be here long Now the thriller's gone, got no patience, cause I'm not a doctor Go, why is you lying? Girl, why you Mufasa? Yeah, me casa su casa. Gotta strip it like Gaza. Got so high off volcanoes. Now the flow is so lava. Yeah, we spit that saliva. iPhone got message from Viber. Either the head is so hydra or we let bygones be bygones. My God, you pay for your friends. I'll take that as.